Another <laughs> funny thing in Australia that I like didn't really realize was not um, a thing that anyone does anywhere else until coming here is when something is really good in Australia, like, you know, someone plays you a banger, like a sick tune, you'd be like, oh, bullshit. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that was a thing. That's brilliant. Welcome to the Mr. Bill Podcast. I'm Anand Harsh, Editor-in-Chief of the Unst.com and Bill's Jeet Kune Do instructor. Bill has provided for you yet another scintillating episode with a key figure in the music industry and somehow managed to do it without getting hospitalized. His guest this week is Darren Foreman, but you know him as Beardy Man. Britain's biggest beatboxer is also a live looper, technologist, comedian. He's been all over the BBC and gone viral with his TED Talk and pranks on audiences. You know, the thing that really gets Bill excited is his proprietary technology program to help him create dubstep, drum and bass and techno live on the spot using just his vocal cords and some incredible pieces of technology. He's also doing a ton of fun stuff for his Patreon while we're all locked down. The coolest thing about this episode is that Beardy Man is doing live remixing of this podcast as you hear it super fun, super inventive. You're really going to enjoy this episode. I bring up that last part to say that Bill is really going for it with these podcasts, doing a ton of research and getting incredible guests in addition to staples in his head. The absolute least we're asking you to do is to give this show a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and a review is even more important. That helps more people find the show. The best thing you can do is subscribe on Patreon to get early access to ad-free episodes. There's a number of perks like exclusive merch bundles and Discord roles, but maybe the best perk of them all is the video of Bill passing out on a Zoom call with Richard Devine. Support for this episode comes from Perfect Circuit. It's an independent music shop fascinated with all things in the world of electronic music. They have a diverse range of musicians running the shop that sells synths, modular recording, and pro audio gear that they ship worldwide. They're every bit as excited about Aphex Twin as they are Morton Sabotnik, and every bit as stoked about the newest Eurorack module as they are about the newest Moog synthesizer. I'm editorializing here, but I imagine they're also excited about Mort Garson. Speaking of Mort's, remember not only to water your plants, but also queue up Plantasia. It'll help them grow. They set Bill up with the preamp you're listening to in this episode, which is why he sounds so good. Visit perfectcircuit.com for more information and to drool over all their cool gear. Finally, head over to MrBillsTunes.com to sign up to become a hardcore Abletoneer. We're currently running a production contest for Spectra, Bill's latest and greatest sample pack that's open to hardcore members only and features some really sick prizes like one-on-one sessions with Bill. Submissions are due by February 22nd. Okay, that's it. Go ahead and enjoy Bill's chat with Beardy Man. Hey, you're listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you're listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you are listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you're 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 listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Yeah. Uh-huh.
Okay, sick. Nice. Now we can talk about interesting things. 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 Oh, I can hear myself. Oh no, that's just you resampling me again. <laughs> So sick. <laughs> Shut up. Well, it's all influenced by uh, my favorite producer, Mr. Bill. <laughs> For real. No, like I was just saying before we start recording, um, I'm slightly nervous because your production is maximum legit. <laughs> so, like, also, yeah. What I was going to say when you, because we talked about this a little <laughs> bit off podcast um, or off when we weren't recording. And what I was going to say is, um, no, I, I like I would never look at your work and judge it for its like sonic uh, qualities, you know, because I, I think the value in what you do, I mean, it sounds great as well. And I actually really like the, <laughs> the sonic aesthetic of it. But um, the values of what you do, I think, are more just in the like the performance and the fact that you're doing it all completely live, which is crazy. Because I mean, like live electronic music and, and doing that, um, especially as fluently as you do it, is just such a crazy like technological hurdle to jump. Cause, and I've tried to do it many times and it's, yeah, it's tricky and it's cool that you figured out a way around it to do it properly and efficiently. Thanks, man. I'm glad you wouldn't judge me for the uh, lack of studio master ready completeness of the beats. Cause I think it's like, um, yeah, I think I've, I've managed to like build my setup to a point where I can get some of the way there enough of the way there that it it's already like a problem that it's that clean and quantized and tight and well finessed that people are sometimes they don't believe that it is all live but um yeah like maybe it doesn't matter that it's scrappy like some of the best records ever made sound like shit and it doesn't matter you know so i'm hoping that that holds true for me if i fuck up a mix that totally. the, the vibe is enough to carry it i think and, and i think it is for sure um yeah, I think the performance itself is like enough to carry it, but then on top of that, like you said, it's a, you've got got the quality sonically up to like a pretty good level as well, and yeah, it's really impressive. Well, it really resonated with me what you were saying with I think it was it was either Steve Duda or Dead Mouse. It was one of those two, and you were talking about like this this like trade off between I think it was Steve Duda. Yeah, he was anyway. He was saying trade off between uh, ability to perform live and the quality of the output that you actually make. Yeah, that's true. And like, um, for yeah. instance, you go see a Dead Mouse show, right? And it's like everything just sounds spot on, like nothing is out of place. And literally like all the visuals are completely synced to the show and there's just nothing like it's nothing short of like a 
spectacle to look at you know like it's just this big thing that has you know it's taken years and years and years to produce basically and you're seeing it condensed down into like a 90 minute show um <clears throat> whereas yeah. you know the 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 value system when you go to a dead mouse show is definitely not seeing him play things live you know whereas i think when you go to a beardy man show the value of going to a beardy man show is to see you like make all this stuff on the spot and also i think like you're just you know a pretty um pretty uh i don't know you have like a lot of character and you're like energetic and stuff like that so you're, <laughs> you're just a fun guy to look at and fun guy to <laughs> i'm entertaining to look at look yeah. at the funny man's weird face mummy <laughs> don't stare yeah i've actually at, at the moment i've got like my eyes bleeding just through i don't know sheer stress and the fact that i'm really old now i don't know like apparently <laughs> eyes just start bleeding sometimes <laughs> so wow. i've had to like i've been streaming so i had to turn it black and white so it didn't make people completely horrified when i'm looking into the camera wait so you but just like woke yeah. up one day and your eye was bleeding no it's not like actually bleeding it's just like under the within the eye like between one of the jelly like layers uh, there's like just but it's kind of gross you could cut this out if you want <laughs> it's not on topic about music or technology i want to ask you some questions it doesn't have like, to be we, we can talk about like literally anything we don't have to talk, talk about the biology of the eye let's talk about yeah. human anatomy yeah no i don't want to it's actually it's actually really gross and it's making me feel sick so <laughs> it's kind of like I want to uh, ask... pringles if you, if you stack up a few pringles it's kind of how an eye works isn't it exactly like that and that is science um okay can i ask you can i ask you a question yeah, yeah yeah of course okay so i was thinking about this today um like do you think that um the path that you've taken is unconventional and i guess the reason why i'm asking is because um when i first came across you and your work um i was like oh this guy because I think it was like through Tom Cosm or something or like I was trying to find out something about Ableton it was when I was just sort of starting out in Ableton like maybe three years ago you know like really trying to basically leave logic behind and just go fully Ableton I think it was something like that I think maybe it was more than five years ago fuck knows anyway I came across your work and I was like oh this guy is somehow both a sick producer and also a legit Ableton trainer and also a dope sound designer and I'd never seen that before I'd only ever seen people being like one of those three things like I'd seen people doing like an Ableton tutorial and their beats are whack or or they're like a sound designer but that's what that's all they do or they make tunes and they're not going to like try and educate people but you seem to have like a really broad funnel to draw people into uh, bill worship and it's <laughs> at, but I think like now like that path which is like sort of multiple funnels if you want to call it that to use like wanky marketing speak is like very normal it's totally the norm especially in the pandemic where there's no gigs anyway but mm. I, I hope I haven't answered your question for you I don't know <laughs> Uh, no, so yeah, I think I know what you're asking. Uh, the the initial question was like, how, do you think what I've the path I've taken is unconventional? And I think so. And I think the reason why is because I sort of the way I look at work and whatnot is just um, well, really, it's like a how I look at life philosophy. Like work just comes sort of after that. And I'm a big proponent of living a good life. 
and the way that I justify or the way that I measure like good, what is a good life is just a life that I really enjoy, but also does not hurt other people, I guess. And also if possible, like helps other people. So it's just, I try to do stuff that incorporates that philosophy. And um, <clears throat> for the most part, like, I, I don't know, sometimes I think, oh man, I could just like, you know, try to ghost produce bangers for pop, pop <laughs> artists or something like that. Or I could, you know, try to you know, do, do something that's like more lucrative maybe. But then I think about it, I'm like, man, then I would have to like be on call like 24 hours a day for people who want mixed downs done and shit like that. And, and that I don't think I would find enjoyable, you know, and then I, I would constitute that as a less good life, having more money, but less time than, mm. you know, current. Um, but other than that, uh, your other statement about like people who are usually good Ableton teachers usually make shitty beats and like so on <laughs> and so forth. It's like I, I kind of somewhat agree but i think there's like a lot of exceptions out there now um but yeah i, I understand there are now more so now yeah more so now yeah I, I understand what you mean though like sometimes someone will be like oh here's how you do like a bunch of shit in the program but then like yeah they make sort of weird sounding beats or whatever but i don't know music's subjective right it's always hard to listen to someone's stuff if they clearly know what they're talking about and say that it's bad because you've always got to assume that that's exactly how they probably wanted it to sound right and then maybe you just got to be like all right it sounds like you just have a very different idea of what good sounding music is than than me but yeah it's funny it's like i always wonder that about sound designers that make presets for keyboards uh like, <laughs> they're always again, so corny that's, right they're so corny and they're like maybe but i mean that used to be true like you know, to a certain extent, like if you have this giant workstation synthesizer, like a Korg thing or something, they're just trying to show off the capabilities of the machine and it can do these mad kind of spacey sounds that are like a whole whole ambient track within one preset or something. But like, I don't know, that's less true now because that's what I was trying to say. I think like I'm going down a, a path which is closer to the thing that you were doing like five years ago than I ever thought I'd be doing. And it's because of Patreon and the fact that it's kind of, you know, I'm growing a community now around me and what I do. And uh, that's paying my mortgage. And that's, it's part of like me giving uh, my, like any, anything I have learned, any expertise I have at all, I'm now giving back to the people who are paying my mortgage. And, uh, and, and, by the same token, they get to sort of peek into my creative process. So that I'm not like making stuff in secret and then pretending that everything I do is dope. I'm like giving the offcuts to people because they're actually interested in it. So I guess it's Patreon that's leading me to think in this way. But I kind of feel like that whole thing about kind of developing things in secret and then really trying to release them like fully formed into the world isn't really a thing anymore. And I, f I feel like you like being a pedagogue as well as an artist, you were kind of ahead of the curve in that sense, you know? Yeah, I suppose. I mean, the way I looked at it was I, from from like day one, when I was like getting into music, I was like, all right, if I want this to be my job, like how can I make it a wage? And I always thought like, I kind of did just did the rough math in my head of like how many records do you have to sell to be a successful artist and I always realized I was just like man it's like not possible how the fuck do people do this 
And then I thought about it and, you know, I kind of saw where the internet was going in terms of its like speed increase and kind of saw like, you know, streaming getting more popular in, you know, around 2010, stuff like that. And I was like, I mean, clearly something like Netflix and all of that stuff is going to happen. Uh, I think at the time they already had, you know, they probably already had some early streaming services. They definitely, I think Ustream existed back then, but also, um, yeah. you know, cable TV existed and it I'm not going to say like I completely saw where the internet and technology was going, but I, I had like some sort of idea and the technology was already sort of there at that time. So I was like, well, it just makes sense, right, to try and like turn this into a wage by starting a subscription service. And at the time, subscription services were not that popular, but now it's like the main business model, which is crazy. Like mm. everyone, everyone is basically like, you know, pay five bucks a month for access to blah, blah, blah. Um, but I, you were I, way ahead of the curve. You were way ahead of it. Like that. I mean, I don't know. Do you ever think about it that way? You're like, you know. I mean, well, the person who did it first maybe was Prince. Like in the late '90s, he was like, "Fuck it, didn't, fuck the major labels, fuck it all." What about Radiohead? It's a subscription. Radiohead. They were. They did that much later. They did it ten years later. Right, and they also did a sl slightly different thing. It wasn't a subscription. It was just like it's a, not a subscription. They just, just pay what you want. Gave their thing away for whatever you want to pay. Yeah, which is. That was cool. I think that was like maybe the start, like the precursor to Bandcamp or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, Bowie offered Bowie bonds, I think, in like the year 2000 or something, What's where you could... Bowie bond? A Bowie bond. I mean, I don't think any artist has done it before or since, but you could basically give Bowie a bunch of money and then you're basically buying a chunk of his, um, his, uh, his business. Oh, wow. Like so he, like he, whatever... He like a public share offering kind of thing. Jesus, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it, he was amazing. I miss him every day. It's weird. It's actually creepy how much I miss him considering I never met him. <laughs> he never knew who I was. It's weird. Yeah, I don't know. The artist-fan relationship is kind of weird, right? Like when, you, <laughs> like when you meet someone that you're a giant fan of or when somebody meets you who's a giant fan of you and you've put so much of yourself out there, like say you have <laughs> or I have, it's really asymmetrical the relationship there right because the person meeting you like really thinks they know you and that you're friends basically because like they've heard so much <laughs> of your voice and whatnot online and then you have yeah. like absolutely no idea who this other person is but i mean yeah i mean you've got to be careful with it because um if if you've been putting your best self out there and and clipping your best self your idealized version of your personality into videos and then someone meets you and uh and if you respond to the adoration that they're giving you in the moment too much all the time then you can lose yourself and i think that happens to people who achieve like crazy levels of fame like they forget that they're still just a flawed person but at the same time like that's breaking down too with patreon and, and streaming and instagram and all this kind of stuff like there's only so much you can put on a front these days like i think i just think it's all gone there's like there's no visage anymore there's no like fakeness is harder to pull off like you really have to go out of your way to like be a character online or something like you, you mm. might as well just be yourself because that's what people want anyway and, yeah. and it's unsustainable to try and be someone you're not so you might as well just talk shit and if people don't like you you won't do well <laughs> just be yourself you might as well yeah yeah i kind <laughs> of agree and i also think um i've thought about this a bunch is like the more of yourself that you put out there just kind of gives more for um for the public to like latch on to you know like 
what am I trying to say? Like the more of your personality that you exert, the more there is of you to to get into as a as an artist, I think. Like mm. withholding a lot of your personality, I think, can, you know, give give or just withholding it, like a lot of like what you said, the off cuts and stuff like that. I think it can it really has the opposite of intended effect, which is I guess usually the intended effect for being so uh, selective with what you put out is because you're really trying to um, focus and you're really trying to sort of um, you know put forward this really carefully curated front. Mm. Um, but I think yeah, when you when you don't do that and you just like put everything out and just be yourself on the internet, it kind of at least for me I feel like has had like the opposite effect, which is like people just like it more I think than if I had had of just you know made a carefully curated project from the get-go yeah I mean a good example is Deadmau5 who never holds back really um you know from just being every any every bit as nerdy as he would want to be um his image is either a sort of opaque light up mouse head or just the sort of slightly spiky personality nerd that he really is and the, and that's fine like no one gives a fuck like it's not I think the era of squeaky clean pop product is so gone so disappeared to the extent that now I feel like you know how it is with me and my Patreon at the moment is I mean I, I did a masterclass the other day with Laura Escuday, if you know her, and she's yeah, um, her, yeah. she's great, and she's got this little community that she's built where people pay a subscription to uh, get all of her brain, and she, if you know, if you want to build a live system, she can help you do it. Yeah, and she's so the, she's the one. She builds like uh, Kanye's yeah. live system and stuff, doesn't yeah. she? Yeah, yeah, she did anyway. And but um, but there's a real like collaborative community kind of thing, like you know, in university, like a seminar after a lecture where everyone's kind of helping each other to kind of understand what they're chewing through. And there's like a mutual exchange of... We're all on this on this trip together of trying to figure out how to get the most out of music technology to make... Our, I say our, assuming that like anyone listening to this is on this trip, but like essentially anyone who's like either listening to music and wants to make it or is making it or is really smashing it and like earning money off it, whether you're just starting out or you're like you've got loads of knowledge that you can give there's still an exchange where because there's no like central authority on music tech um everyone's on this journey together where everyone's found crazy little hacks um even someone coming up who maybe their their mixes sound like shit but they're still doing really interesting sound design like everyone can learn from each other so i feel like yeah like we're saying like holding back the works in progress is not the right thing to do. It's not going to help you to do that. And and I feel like the artist now is not someone who polishes up something and then puts it out into the world. Like if you like an artist, generally you're happy to go on their journey with them. Maybe that's what you want. Do you know what I mean? Mm, yeah, I would agree with that. I, I would say like... Uh... Say, for instance, like I'm a big fan of Skrillex, right? Like I think his production and mix downs and songwriting and everything is really top notch. And, you know, he puts out one song every now and then. Usually he doesn't really do albums, it seems like, anymore. It's just sort of pop music singles here and there with collaborators. 
but yeah, man, I would love to just hear all the demos on his hard drive and <laughs> I'd, I'd stream the shit out of that on Spotify. I wouldn't give a shit if like the levels were everywhere and whatnot, you know. I think everyone would and sure, there would be like some people on the internet who are like, oh, why don't like you finish all that crap? And I mean, some some people are like that. For instance, my buddy Tipper, um, he told me once that uh, when Aphex Twin dumped his whole thing on SoundCloud, he found it a little off-putting. But he's also mm. the kind of person, you know, who like, uh, is one of those people who very carefully curates what they put out. Um, so he's of like the opposite opinion that you should carefully curate everything you put out. So it's kind of like worth someone's time, I guess. To oh, don't get me wrong, you definitely should be really careful what you put out on the mainstream platforms. Like you mean full but, like just dist- distributed releases or whatever. Yeah, like if you're putting something out on a streaming service where the public have access to it on unwalled. You should be very guarded about what you're curating out there into the world. But because fandom now exists in a kind of direct kind of remuneration kind of vector by things like Patreon and Kofi and whatever the others are, like you can you can give the works in progress and share the journey uh, with your with your fans. And I don't want this to be an advert for Patreon, but I can't <laughs> help but do that because I I can't help but evangelize about it because it's changed my fucking life. Like it's changed who I am as a as an artist where I was very guarded and quite insular and it's changed what I do in the studio because like it's really easy when you're on your own in your studio to like forget that there are other humans in the world and um th- there's this whole thing that Jack Conti this Patreon, Patreon CEO has got about when he does talks about this kind of stuff about working to publish rather than to finish something and so remembering that you've got this like hardcore of fans that you can share works in progress with it keeps it even more in mind that like remember at every step of the process what it is you're doing that you're trying to make a track it's just it's very easy to lose sight of what you're doing in a creative process and work on a snare for two hours or like, you know, do shitloads of sound design with no idea of what it is you want to make or or not to have a process or not to have like a schedule or... I don't know. I think I've sort of meandered from what I was originally trying to say, but I don't know. It's, Patreon has really changed how I feel about music and about creativity. I mean, I could, I could go on evangelizing, but... I should probably finish that sentence. <laughs> yeah, I feel similarly. Uh, I mean, this podcast has a Patreon associated with it where people who sign up basically get access to the episodes a little earlier than everyone else. Um, and that's really just to sort of give a little bit of money to the guy who edits this podcast, Robert, um, because, you know, he, he can't just edit these podcasts for free, I guess. So we needed to sort of set up some form of income stream for it to, to get him paid. Uh, so that's cool. But, um, other, like in terms of sort of publishing along the way, I think I more use Twitch for that because I stream my music production sessions on Twitch a lot. So it's sort of like it's being published in real time almost, you know, mm-hmm. like as I'm doing it. Yeah. And I guess the same applies to Patreon. If you just have, you know, yourself streaming behind a paywall on there or something like that, or just videos mm-hmm. that you're uploading. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, th- there are loads of options for doing it now. I mean, you've got, so you've, you've got like your own like sort of like masterclass crew subscription thing that you can mm-hmm. sign up to, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because so you're that, that ahead of the curve. Yeah. So you're so that's how you've chosen to do it, because you were like 
who innovated in that space, but then yeah, laggers yeah, like me are using Patreon, and then there, <laughs> yeah. there's coffee or coffee or however you pronounce it, and or you can become a Twitch streamer, as lots of fucking EDM producers have done. Like Eliminate has become this really dope YouTuber, mm. just doing really memey, jokey music production stream cut down kind of thing. Like. It's Dude, brilliant. His production is so sick. Yeah. He's definitely got yeah. like some of the best mix downs and sound design, I think, in the dubstep yeah. game at least. And it's fun and creative and silly and sick. And you can tell, like it feels fun. And and then like it's no surprise that his personality is also like really fun and really dry and like, like witty and shit. But like he's chosen to do that because there were no gigs. So he's like, okay, I'm quite a funny cunt. I'll make some YouTube. And he's absolutely smashing it. I mean, like, I think it's this is this COVID situation has forced musicians to get really creative and really serious about like streaming and alternative income streams. And I think that's gonna have a real effect on what it is to be an artist and what it is to be a musician. Yeah, I agree. I think um in in some ways that that's a positive thing for sure. Cause I think um, yeah, at the end of this, you're gonna have like obviously still people are gonna be doing the tour grind and stuff like that where they're doing shitloads of live shows to try and make money that way. But yeah, I think, um, you know, Twitch and uh, Patreon and all of these platforms having to have adapted so heavily to all the new people coming into these platforms because of COVID is going to be a positive thing for sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I was thinking about this today as well. Like it used to be the case that there was a monolithic marketing sort of behemoth that um, you could buy into or that would buy into you and if you're lucky and you play their game and, and use their opportunities and their system then you could if you were really lucky and really hard working really talented make it as a musician and that was a very 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 standardized model where it was I don't know, make a shit demo, someone from a re big record company hears potential in it and pays for you to be in an expensive studio, you're already racking up debt to the um, record company, then you are out on the road, still racking up debt to the record company, and then you're grinding, grinding, grinding. Um, maybe you'll get a song on the radio if you're lucky, maybe you'll get a second if you're very lucky and you really smash it. Like, the band could fall apart at any moment because it's a crazy life. So, like, it was pretty unlikely that that people would kind of, you know, make it. And then the DJ model came and disrupted things, and then the sort of producer, electronic musician thing didn't necessarily disrupt things, but it certainly made things more creative. But now that giant marketing monolith of, like, the music press, radio, TV spots, um, selling physical products and touring and any any of the sort of marketing pursuits that are surrounding that industry, they've all gone. Like, they're still there, but you don't need them. You Like, it, it behoves you as an artist to do that shit yourself now because there's all these social media sites and you just have to be canny about how to use them. So it's on you to market yourself in any way you think might suit you. Yeah, I'd agree with that for sure. I think that's a I think that's good though. I mean, I think it's a lot better than the the system that existed before. In some ways though, um 
the system that existed before, if you could impress that gatekeeper and they let you in the front door, it's kind of like they were able to put you on a platform that wasn't so saturated with noise. So you would stand out more. Whereas these days, anyone can be on the platform. But the other side of that is it's so noisy that it's really hard to be noticed among people on that platform. You know, it's just like millions of tracks being uploaded every day. It's like, how are you going to make your one stand mm. out, right? So there has to be something unique about you and uh, and you also have to be good at marketing. You have to be good at a lot of shit these days, I think, to be a successful musician. Yeah. I mean, it's funny though, cutting above the noise, it's kind of, you know, with, with the old marketing model where there were just only a few TV channels, only a few places that you could get an album reviewed, only a few TV spots you could get on, like, if you were in, you were made, and then your second album might be dog shit, but you'd still mm. sell millions of copies, and then you're done. So it wasn't very forgiving of failure, or you'd do one shitty... Like, there was a band in 1999, I think it was, called Gay Dad, and they were quite a good band. Like, they made some really good songs, and they were so overhyped. Like, I Wikipedia these guys the other day because I, I remember them from my youth. I was like, I remember Gay Dad. They were a fucking great band and they made some really tight songs and I still, they still go around my head sometimes. And they've been, their music's been used on ads and stuff because you know, it's genuinely really good. But like, they came out of nowhere and were overhyped, could not live up to the hype. Then they disbanded in disgrace because their second album couldn't live up to the hype that was generated around them. And that was so typical of what used to happen all the fucking time. So they probably lumbered with loads of debt to the record company that they were never going to recoup, and then no one's going to touch them with a barge pole. So they couldn't get a deal if they wanted to because there's a five-year break clause on it or whatever. That, that, was, that was the model. It was set up for failure, for people to like raise their head above water and then become a whipping boy. It was, yeah, it was music. set up for the <clears throat> like the head honchos of the industry to make money. Really, it was set up for the labels and the distribution platforms and stuff. It was not set up for artists. But I mean, you know, these new platforms that are arising, like Patreon, that was made by an artist. You know, it was made by this Jack Conti dude, who's, as far as I know, started out as like a YouTuber doing these really interesting music videos, right? Mm, yeah, no, he's great. Like I hung out with him online a few times because we did a little collab thing for one of his like like secret channels that he's got he's got like sub channels and stuff um but so i got a chance to like talk to him because i've been a fan of him for years like yeah he's like just a youtuber making really creative weird um genuinely good music and music videos and stuff like this and I don't know, Patreon's one of those things that just had to come into existence. Its, its existence was, was necessary, like Kickstarter. Mm. Um, it was just, this was a model that needed to happen. The person who made the platform and made it well and made it for the right reasons and had the right motivations, that, that it was going to take off. It had to. Like, the model was broken before that you would have, you'd, you'd have to get something past a commissioner. Like, even for TV, it's the same. It, it's all backwards. When you're trying to show someone with more money than you, that they should lend you money to make the thing that you want. That's all wrong. Like the way that we have now with Kickstarter and Patreon and all these other kind of things, the crowdfunding model means that art can be made the way that it always should have been, but there wasn't the technology to do it. Like there used to be patronage that was like a king or a cleric or something, mm. um, you know, back in the day. But now it's literally the people consuming the art that like pay you to keep doing it. 
I can't evangelize about that enough. Not like necessarily the platform Patreon, although I fucking do love it. It's that that exists at all is game changing for artistry. All the bullshit of like trying to present yourself as being something you're not or like um, trying to get a hit or trying to get like just vying for, you know, this hierarchy. It's all bullshit. Like art should just be something that is done by people who are doing it because they fucking need to make it. Like I once heard that like you're, you don't become a poet, you're diagnosed with it. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I think that applies to any art form. It's like, like don't tell me that you, that you do the music you do because, because you feel somehow obligated. You know you fucking just want to make some dope shit, right? Yeah, I mean, in, <laughs> in some way I feel like in, you know, obligated, but it's not due to any sort of uh, environmental or external factors. But yeah, I agree with you. I think that, <clears throat> that people should just make art for the sake of it. And I think... Um, making art for other reasons uh like you know monetary gain or stature gain or um, you know yeah any any of those sort of materialistic reasons is definitely wrong and always yields worse art and it's sort of counterintuitive right because it's like the the thing that the those people want that materialistic stuff is in my opinion 100% more likely to come from uh art that's just made for the sake of arting and uh <laughs> and the the opposite is also true at least of like what i what i think of you know art that's made for the sake of trying to gain money or anything like that i always think it's just the worst shit and you can always tell like that it's just a cash grab thing or whatever yeah yeah <clears throat> but yeah you really I, can I, then again there might be people out there who really fucking love shit pop music that's been contrived from the ground up to make money maybe i mean i think there are i think there are a lot of people out there who who don't want anything challenging or experimental or overly complex they really just want some pop music i think that that is but, i mean but you can jesus have how something... many people voted for donald trump do you know what i'm saying there are yeah. cunts everywhere but you, you can <laughs> you can have uh uh what was i going to say like you you can have <laughs> music that's really consonant and simple and uh, not challenging really, but also like you can tell it's really intelligent and creative and done just because they wanted to make something artistic. Like a, a good example might be um, Got Yeah's song. Uh, what's that song called? The big oh, one. Oh, that's dope though. That's dope. Yeah, but I mean, it's pop music, right? It's not challenging. It's simple. Oh, it's right. Consonant. For sure, yeah. It's, I think I was thinking of like, Lady Gaga's super brash, sort of in your face, like maximum wall of hoovers kind of thing that is yeah. I, I can't stand that shit. Like she's very talented, but oh god, I don't I don't enjoy <laughs> listening to her music. So, I've had this like weird respect for her, but I don't like her music. But some people really do, right? The same guy, actually. <laughs> I was listening to a podcast literally this morning uh with this guy on it called Tom Norris. And um this dude Tom Norris, he is in an act called Grey. And he does all the mix downs for Skrillex and Zed uh, and those guys. So he's like just an incredible mix engineer. And he also does all the like sort of mix engineering for Lady Gaga as well. Uh, but yeah. Right, right. I mean, shit as well makes like, look, my, my kid, uh, my six-year-old, um, I just gave him like a, his own Spotify account because I want to hasten 
my demise as an artist. I don't know why. But like, um, yeah, so he's now part of the criminal cabal. Uh, but uh, yeah, the, the, the Spotify kids thing is weird. I wasn't even aware of it till yesterday. Um, strangely, there's no dead mouse on it, which is a Wait, shame. Does because Spotify he, he's a kids? Fan. Spotify kids. And it's very curated and... Uh, easy for a child to operate hmm. but it gives you lots of marshmallow and Disney shit and like so but I'm listening to it and he's like daddy do you like this daddy do you like this he's super into it I it, like marshmallow's music is not my bag but man he's really successful and I just have to accept that there's music which I don't like because it sounds like it's made of plastic but some people absolutely adore right they really get off on like like pop, right? Like that's a whole. I don't like it, but people do. Yeah, I've, I've had in mind. the thought before that if like a hundred million people like a thing and I think it's trash, <laughs> does that make me wrong, or does that make a hundred million people wrong? <laughs> <laughs> but like you're musically trained, right? So you you've been inured against sort of bland um, chord progressions and stuff like that. Like yeah. maybe people that didn't necessarily have musical training when they were younger. That shit, you know, really basic songs still sound really novel to them, or it doesn't, you know, if you learn music, if you learn jazz or something, it, 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 it's, it refines your musical palette. And then, you know, to use a food analogy, like, you know, you wouldn't necessarily want to go to McDonald's after you've got a really refined palette and you, you know how exquisite food can be, you mm. know? Maybe it's, it's, just, it's just to do with what you've been exposed to. McDonald's kind of slaps, though. Not gonna lie. <laughs> Apparently, lots of top chefs still go to a Mackey D's just to just to get something quick and I mean, dirty. Dude, it's salt, sugar. <laughs> what do you want? Fat. It's a bunch MSG. Of, yeah, yeah exactly. it gives you that McDonald's hit. Boom. Yeah, it makes you feel like shit afterwards, but you know, it's, it's designed to be Ugh. tasty. The worst thing ever is Burger King on a come down because that shit's just like it's not. <laughs> it falls apart in your mouth, and it's just. And as it falls apart, you're like, "Oh, what am I doing?" Like the the moral part of it hits you as well as the food's disintegrating. Bad, <laughs> don't do it. <laughs> I was yeah, oh, actually. I think I've ever been to a Burger King. So in Australia, there's no such thing as Burger King. Uh, no? It's called Hungry Jacks. And the reason mm -hmm. why is because um, somebody had just already trademarked Burger King over there as like some other thing. So they couldn't start it there. So they rebranded as Hungry Jacks. And it's like a whole different brand. It's like red and yellow instead of uh, um, blue and white or whatever it is here. Actually, it looks a lot like McDonald's, to be honest, in Australia. Maybe they like right. learned their lesson here and were like, fuck, we needed to be more red and yellow. So then they did that shit in Australia or something. Red and yellow are very kind of carnal colors, aren't they? And if you see that in nature, it means like danger, blood, tearing flesh apart. That's what it appeals to. Yeah, doesn't it depend on where you are? Because like I think in some parts of the world, if you want to uh, get away from the black shit and like be near the colorful shit, and then in other parts of the world, you want to like not go near colorful shit and be near the like gray and brown shit. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> so, like, you, you mean know like, how you, you mean like, that camouflage? No. So, you know how you like go into a forest, right? And there's like a bunch of different colors. There's like a lot of insects, and some of them are really colorful, and some of them are more like bland, like just brown or black or gray or whatever. Yeah. So, in some parts of the world, um, like Australia, for instance, a lot of those like dark black or gray or brown uh, 
insects like spiders and snakes and stuff like that are the most poisonous but in other parts of the world uh you know and and then the opposite is mostly true in australia too if it's like really colorful it's generally like not that harmless and then the the opposite can be true in other parts of the world the colorful shit is like super harmful and vice versa jesus that's another aspect of australia that i didn't realize makes it the most fucking deadly place in the world <laughs> like australia's out to kill you anyway you go out into the bush and there's like just things that can make you dead. I didn't realize that the color coding system that's true the whole of the world is reversed in Australia. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, totally. Jesus Christ. Australian fucking <laughs> spiders are so nuts. Like I was, I did this bush duff in... Um, oh, dude, you, you, you went to a duff? I went to a fuck, that's, played a duff. That's where I started my electronic music journey, at a duff. Yeah, no doubt, but it's... Uh, you know I, how never... hard it is to explain what a doof is to anybody <laughs> else who's not been to one? Are you going to do it? Are you going to do it? I've no. tried. It's impossible. Are you going to explain? It's also impossible to explain to someone what a bogan is. <laughs> Try. I mean, the clo- so how close can you get? I mean, the way I explain it to Americans is it's, it's kind of like a hillbilly, but not quite. It's like a hillbilly, but like, like worse. And... <laughs> <laughs> In what way worse? Uh, they drink way more. They fight way more. <laughs> they definitely have like a lot more toxic masculinity. Um, they usually are tradies. Like they work, uh, you know, at, like metal fabrication shops or, you know, like. Uh, Down a mine. Yeah, something like that. And they're just always at the pub. It's like as soon as they get off work, they're like always at the pub in their high-vis shirts, smashing schooners. And uh <laughs> I don't know. It's just, you've, it's just, like, you've just you've just lost the bogan market completely with that shit. They're gonna come to get you now. No, fucking, but this is the I thing, got, dude. Bogans are self-hating, <laughs> like they. So it's all oh really? Like, yeah. Oh like, great. I, I when, was I was like from that description, they're just gonna be like, oh fuck yeah, mate. Yeah, you nailed it. Oh, I go to my metal <laughs> fabrication job. I go home, smash a few skewies, <laughs> go home to the wife, eat some steak, eggs, and chips. Back at it the next morning, mate. Fucking Bob's your uncle. <laughs> oh, amazing. Yeah, I was touring around in Australia years and years and years ago as part of this weird marketing activity for, I think it was Bacardi or something, and we were on this train going through, like, you know, they don't use the trains really anymore along the sort of southeast coastline of Australia. Everyone flies, but, like, it's still there. So I was doing this thing where they had, like, all these, like, big artists in the Antipodes from... This was like 2007 or something. So there was like Panau, Scribe, um, God, I can't even remember who else, but it was uh, the Bumblebees. Um, Wait, this was a doof? No, this is a different story. I was on a train. Yeah, no, I was doing this like thing on a train. And like uh, we were stopping at every city along the way, along the coast. And I, I stopped in Wollongong. And so we'd get, do what we did in every city on this train tour. We'd like get off the train, unload all our shit, set up in a venue, do the show, and then pack up and go home. But during this venue, I just during this gig in Wollongong, which is this tiny, tiny little sort of satellite like a coastal town. town. Yeah, uh, and like I, I was doing, I think it was I want to be a hippie, um, <laughs> just because I thought it would be funny. And someone threw a shoe at my head. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, that is Yeah, it's probably extreme. a bogan, dude. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I was only doing it for a joke, but someone's like, fuck off, you can't smack. <laughs> 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 oh my God. 
Yeah, so Australia's crazy. But yeah, no, the, the, the Bush stuff that I played in a while ago, where even was I? I have no idea, I can't remember. But like, um, what I do remember is that our guide said to us, she was like, I'm just gonna drive you to, to the accommodation. Um, you should know that it just rained, so there'll be f funnel webs everywhere. And I was like, what? <laughs> okay, it sounds like um, you're in uh, probably northern New South Wales, maybe like Coffs Harbour or something like that. Something like that. Something like that. Yeah, but I didn't see any funnel webs. Oh, no, it wasn't funnel webs, sorry, because they are only in very specific parts. It was Huntsman mm. that she said would be everywhere. Oh, Huntsman's, they, uh, think... they look scarier, but they're not that bad. Yeah, I mean, they're a bit, yeah, I didn't, I didn't see any. I wanted to see one, but I didn't. But instead, I saw this golden orb weaver spider, which was one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. Like a giant, like the size of a hand, but with very kind of pointy legs, like a sort of garden spider thing. And mm. this one thick, like sort of golden thread hanging up the rest of the web. One of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. I, doubt, I don't know how dangerous that would be to a human. It's probably not a threat. If it's colorful in Australia, it's probably fine. Right, right. Yeah, but funnel webs, for instance, they're like, they, they look like a black, shiny SUV if it was a spider. <laughs> that's what they are. They're, like the, they're like the security, you know how like... Um, if someone like Elon Musk or whatever, they'll like rock up with a security detail, like a bunch of black SUVs around them. Like if you could convert <laughs> cars to spiders, like they would be the funnel webs. Yeah, fucking, I mean, the fact that they sort of pounce out of a cone of web that they've made, it's just... Yeah, yeah. and they're aggressive. And too. they are dangerous. Yeah, and they are dangerous. Yeah, Fuck it's not shit. like one of those spiders <laughs> where if you like go near it and just sort of like leave it alone and it'll leave you alone. No, like they'll bite through your boot. <laughs> but like, any Australian that I talk to about spiders, anytime I've like gone to Australia and been like a bit anxious as I get there, I've been like, are the, are the spiders here? They'll be like, no, I've never seen one, mate. Someone <laughs> once, it fucked off. I killed it with a fucking rake, you know? They don't, <laughs> no one seems to care. Yeah, it's not as bad as a, it gets made out to be on the internet. I mean, there is dangerous shit there, but the same deal. I mean, like in my whole life, I've seen like three or four funnel webs and shitloads of huntsmen's but they're not that bad yeah and you've got antidotes like anti-venom yeah i think right no one has died from a funnel web bite in a long time as far as i know yeah she'll be right mate fuck it yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know what uh, yeah, I in fact there is one thing though they you know peppa pig kids cartoon they had to um they had to remove a peppa pig episode about befriending a spider from australian tv because oh, wow. it was going to teach kids the wrong thing. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's you know, pretty like, funny, you, actually. Yeah, yeah. You can't makes... be teaching Australian kids to be friendly with spiders. Yeah, that makes sense. I had a, um, a friend who came to Australia once. His name's Aro. He's like a Belgian producer. And he's, uh, <laughs> he came up to me and he's like, eh, I can't, I'm not even going to try to do the accent. <laughs> but he was, like, <laughs> he was like, oh, this guy I'm staying with, he just like said this thing. I'm not sure what it means. Can you explain it to me? And I was like, yeah, what, what, did, he, what did he say? And he was like, uh, cunts fucked. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> I was like, oh, yes, you mean the worst word followed by the second worst word. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> <laughs> In Australia, swearing is punctuation, and I love that. Yeah, I so just, like if something uh, is is like you know bad in Australia, like, or if somebody or, or if somebody is really wasted, like if someone's wasted, you'd be like, ha ha, cunt's fucked. Or if like, <laughs> you know, if your car breaks down or something, you'd also be like, ah, oh, cunt's fucked. 
<laughs> but mo- mostly you would say it for someone if they're like wasted or if or if uh, <laughs> if you think someone's doing something like dumb or whatever, you're like, oh, cunt's fucked. And another <laughs> funny thing in Australia that I like didn't really realize was not um, a thing that anyone does anywhere else until coming here is when something is really good in Australia, like, you know, someone plays you a banger, like a sick tune, you'd be like, oh, bullshit. Like, (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know that was a thing. That's brilliant. Yeah, exactly. And you got to wonder, I often wonder that, like, how do these like reverse meaning slang phrases originate? Like who was the first person in the 80s that said, yeah, that's bad. Like must have been a first person that decided to flip it. And in what fucking mm. context was it that that was first fucking used? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe there was just something that was so good that they were just like, that's that's fine. <laughs> like they just lost <laughs> that shit. It's just in a moment of just, <laughs> yeah, transcendent, godlike fucking purity <laughs> that came to them. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I've, I think I've had that a few times. I like used, used a phrase I knew wouldn't be appropriate for comedic effects, but none of, none of mine have become like, well, one did. Fuck, there was, uh, yeah, I had this like fucking big hit song with um, um, Norman Cook and Calvin Harris that was like eat, sleep, rave, repeat. And that was, that was some bullshit. And it became this like EDM anthem as dance music was becoming a thing in America in the mainstream. And um, we never made a penny off any merch. We didn't make any merch. I don't know what our fucking problem was. We could have made, because like e- even today, I, like I send... I send screen grabs of any, anything I find that says like that's like aped that phrase, it's like eat something something repeat, because mm. um, it's used everywhere. Like you can just Google it, and there's shitloads. Like I, I'll see someone with a T-shirt with with something like that on, like eat, sleep, fucking I don't know, drink milk, repeat whatever, and I'll just like, <laughs> like I'm so sorry, can I like can I take a picture of you? And they have no idea that it's being sent to Fat Boy Slim. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so before you made that, there was no eat, whatever, whatever, repeat shit going on? Like, no one really. Not in the way that it is now, in that it's kind of a meme. But, like, it was was definitely a phrase, but, like, it it became much more memeified, you know, because of that. Mm. But, uh, yeah, like, it's it's using really inappropriate things, or, like, things you wouldn't sort of expect, like cookery programs and, like, I don't know, accountancy firms and like they all, I know, maybe it was a thing. Maybe like I'm completely imagining sleep, it. Maybe I'm thinking I invented. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. But like, I don't know. I, maybe it's one of, just one of those things where I notice it now because, mm. and then I, I'm just laying claim to a phrase that's existed for hundreds of years. Maybe oh yeah, it's that, that is. <laughs> Could be that. <laughs> it's probably that. Wow, I've been living a lie. Phenomena <laughs> where you notice things more. There's a... Oh yeah, there's a phrase oh, the, for it. the beta Meinhof phenomenon is what it's called. Oh, okay. Uh, beta otherwise, phenomenon. otherwise known as frequency illusion or recency illusion, which is like yeah, yeah. once once you've um, you know, and and actually the reason I just remembered that is because of the beta Meinhof effect because my friend was <laughs> telling me about it like two days ago. There you go, pretty freaky. Yeah, the yeah. reason it came up is because um, I was looking into Bitcoin a bunch like a few days ago. Just m- mainly, I think it's dumb. I don't like give a shit about Bitcoin. But like, um, yeah, I was looking into that a, a ton and was putting a bunch of energy into it for some reason. And then uh, I was also looking at chess a lot. 
because uh, I play chess a ton. <clears throat> and then the next day I saw like a number plate that said BTC LOL. And then another number plate that said 3D chess. And I was like, what the hell? Like we're living in the simulation. <laughs> and then my buddy was like, no, this is just some beta Meinhof shit. Right. Yeah. I think that beta Meinhof shit and um, uh, what's that other cognitive illusion? Apophenia, where... maybe? Mm, which one? What's that one? Apophenia is where you just make like unrelated connections between different things. Oh, right. Probably that too. But there's <laughs> what, what, what's the one where you, um, if you're not an expert in something, that you, you. Oh, the Dunning Kruger effect. Dunning Kruger effect. That's it. Yeah, yeah. I think those things are what's driving COVID denial and Trumpism mm. and things. It's like, like particularly with this COVID denial thing where people just lurch to conspiracy. They're like, there has to be a conspiracy. I must find a pattern. This, I must find a way to make this make sense. I don't want to question my previously existing worldview. And where, like, where do you think you see the Dunning-Kruger effect the most? Like what, in what aspect of life do you think it exists the most prevalently? I think climate science. Really? I, I think it exists the most in driving you know, like everybody thinks they're a good driver, but everyone is like actually a trash driver and everyone thinks everyone else is a trash driver. Right. Yeah. I don't know. That just comes down to humility, I think. But it's when you're in control of a vehicle, you get very, very tense. Mm. And like, also very yeah. confident, right? Like just having this thin shell of metal around you, you're like, yeah, I can send it on the freeway at 110. It's fine. Well, there's a weird thing. And again, there's, there's a word for this, but I don't. I'm not like a psychologist, so I can't remember what it is, but like maybe it's called like body extension or something. But if, if someone walks in front of your car and they put their hand on your bonnet, you kind of feel it. Like the mm. it's this extension of this kind of like tool, tool building, like extended body thing that we have as humans. Like we're really good at that, mm. where we can sort of project ourselves into whatever we're using. I feel like I do that with my with my rig. Uh, interesting like, maybe that's like yeah. there's an experiment or like a trick that that i've seen on youtube videos or some science show or some shit where like they will put a, a fake arm uh sorry they'll make someone put their arm into a hole i think it is and then on the other side they'll put like a prosthetic arm and then they'll like yeah. hit the prosthetic arm with the hammer and it like makes people like freak out like the, even though they know it's a prosthetic hand or whatever they can yeah yeah, and there's phantom limb syndrome where yeah. you can have your limb amputated but you still feel it's there. So it's like we have like a specific function of our brain which deals with locating where our body is in space and what constitutes our body and what doesn't. Do you feel like that with Ableton? When you're, when you're tweaking away, building some monstrous piece of sound design infrastructure, do you feel that you are the sound design infrastructure? <laughs> do you become 50 plugins in a row? <laughs> not, not necessarily, but I definitely feel like pretty connected to Ableton. Like it doesn't feel like there's much friction between like stuff in my head and getting it out. It's like I feel more comfortable getting musical ideas out of my head into Ableton than I do writing with a pen on paper at this point because I haven't written with a pen on paper in so long. And now every time I got to like sign something, I'm like, Jesus fucking Christ, like any muscle that is like needed to write has just atrophied completely in my hand, obviously, because like feel so dumb like trying to <laughs> write these days. Um, so in that yeah. way, like I feel like it's a bit of an extension. The the thing that I think is the most amazing in terms of um, that I've seen recently anyway, in terms of uh, extensions of people's bodies is fucking Danny Mackerskill, man, on a bike. You seen that guy? No. I think he's is a British he a good, dude. 
he's biker. An in, dude, he's insane. He like yeah. does the craziest shit on a on a mountain bike and a BMX that I've ever seen. You're into your BM, your your biking now, right? Like you've been doing lots of like yeah, moving been, your body with wheels on yes. mountain tops. Yeah, that's, that's sick. I have been biking on the mountain. That's wicked. I've been locked in my house for like a year with three children and I don't fit into most of my clothes at this point and I'm just waiting, <laughs> waiting for the fucking this <clears throat> nightmare to be over so that I can sort of arrange childcare so I can like, I don't know, join a gym, go for a walk, have a shower. I don't Wait, know. You, haven't, you haven't been for uh, a walk? Not really. Who look after the kids? Like, uh, I can't true. leave my wife alone with three of them because she's got work to do as well. Honestly, I don't want to moan. It's just that, like, it's crazy to me how different the lives are of, of everyone experiencing this pandemic. Like, you know, mm -hmm. if you're living on your own, your problem might be loneliness and not having physical contact with other human beings. If you're, actually, It's probably not like this in Australia, certainly not in New Zealand or... Well, you know, Australia is, like, back to having full-fledged concerts. Right. <laughs> yeah, right. We are on fucking lockdown here. <clears throat> yeah, it same is here. maddening. Oh, yeah, you're in America, aren't you? Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm in San Francisco. I mean, well, it depends, right? Because, like, you obviously have the federal level, and the federal level in America has just been, like, fucking work it out at the state level. And then the state level has basically just been, like, work it out on the local level. And, like, so... Everywhere you go has sort of like different rules here, which is just ridiculous. I mean, they should have just like sent rules down from the federal level and been like, this is what everyone does now, like, um, mm. which is super dumb. Uh, the same issue is, exists uh, with the vaccine. You know, they um, you know, perform this modern med medical miracle by like making this vaccine in under a year, basically. And, and now they're at the local level unable to distribute them efficiently. So did you know um, once you open a vial of the vaccine, there's 10 doses per vial and you need to use them within an hour or they go off and right. they're just having troubles like scheduling 10 people to come in at a time to get their vaccines. It's like the, the dumbest... fuck? I know, it's the dumbest logistical problem to solve. It like seems way easier to solve than making a fucking vaccine. Where and are the grown-ups? Where the fuck did the adults go? Like what the fuck is going on? It's so mental that like you know trump uh, fine let's do it let's talk about it <laughs> like, it was inevitable the thing about, i know fucking out of office message and he's back he's banned from everything yep. <laughs> so yeah 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 i mean he started off the terrorist wing of the republican party which is novel that's interesting <clears throat> Man, I mean, the funniest shit uh, from like all the capital stuff is the people who got put on like no fly lists and stuff. There's a video online of this guy in an airport trying to take a flight. He's like, what do you mean I can't take a flight? <laughs> they're like, you're on the terrorist list, man. Like you broke yeah, into the I'm capital. an American citizen. Yeah, yes, like, and, and a terrorist. Because <laughs> <laughs> you tried to take down democracy, you dumb fuck. But like I was saying for years, like Trump is a cult leader and he started a cult and this will only end in tears. And I was like, ah, it'll be fine, it'll be right. American democracy is really robust. And I was like, nothing is fucking that robust that one lunatic can't ruin it, you know? Yeah, it's uh, a. <laughs> I mean, it all, yeah, it almost got ruined, didn't it? I mean, it got ruined a, a lot. It, it, <laughs> not completely, fortunately. It's but... vandalism. I feel like it's a form of vandalism, really. Like, Trumpism and Brexit as well, these two kind of, you know, right-wing kind of lashings out. I feel like they're understandable on an emotional level or on a psychological level where it's like grievance being acted upon. 
But there's no like policy there with either of those things that you can point out to say it's a good idea. Like, no, there's nothing expedient or productive about it. It's just grievances being tapped into by people who possibly stand to gain from that. Maybe that sounds trite to even say because it's so obvious, but it's sometimes mm. tempting to think maybe these people have a point. No, 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 no. They really don't. They have genuine grievances, but they also have a mad demagogue who's lying to them. And I mean, look how many people join cults. Cults are mad, they're mad things. And they're really widespread, especially in America, where the whole country is founded on the idea that you can be a new you. You know, you can, you can have this frontier spirit with your own personality if you want. You can conquer yourself and you can be a better version of yourself and you can, Jesus can heal you and like salvation awaits and fucking calm down, <laughs> shut the fuck up, meditate for a bit, reconsider your fucking whole psychology. You meditate? And, uh, I try, but lockdown and three children does not present me with that many opportunities. But actually, I find making music very meditative. And mm. I know that doesn't necessarily count. But like, do you find this with... Um, do, you, do you find that when you meet musicians, do you ever ask them whether they like going on holiday? Because I've often like, had this conversation with musicians where they're like, oh, no, I don't, I don't like going on holiday. Why would you? They're like, because their holiday is like, they've crafted their life around the activity that they love to do to escape into. And the idea of going on holiday is like, well, why would I sit on a beach? There's no, can I bring my guitar? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> can I bring my modular? You know? <clears throat> yeah, I kind of feel that way, honestly. I, I definitely feel like when I leave my studio, um, I can only leave it for a couple of days before I start going like, fuck, I need to like get back and work on some stuff. And part of that, I think, is like because of capitalism where I'm like, oh, I need to work or I'm going to like run out of money or whatever. Um, <laughs> and then part of it is just because I really want to work. Mm. Do you find it weird calling it work? Because I sometimes find that strange when I'm like telling my wife and kids or whatever, I'm like, daddy's going to do some work now. And I'm like, is it work? Because I really love it. <laughs> I'm really going to enjoy it. Like yeah, it's not, a, I mean, it's it not can, drudgery. Yeah, I mean, if it's what you do, uh, you know, as your profession and it's your main source of income and it's what you spend most of your time doing, whether it be because you like it or whether it be, you know, for capitalistic reasons or whatever, I think I think you can refer to it um, as work. And I think like, you know, getting into calling it other shit is just like semantical, really. But yeah, yeah. I, I, I know it does. Yeah, it does feel a little weird, I guess, calling it work. Do you know the word uh, facetious? Is it facetious? Whatever the word is. It's like apparently the only word in the English dictionary where all the vowels uh, <laughs> are in order, like in the word. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, it's like A-E-I-O-U, like all the way through. I didn't know that. I didn't even know how to properly spell it. That's a word that I'd have to let spell check do for me. <clears throat> yeah, same Grammarly or whatever. <laughs> Just be like, Grammarly, yeah. fix my dumb ass. <laughs> There's so many words that I say all the time and then I come to write them and I was like, I've never seen this written. I have no idea how to spell it. And then I can't even find it because I can't Google it because the spelling's so weird. So I yeah, there's a, word. like uh, the word... Um, <laughs> You know, like uh, the word eidetic, when you're talking about like someone who has an eidetic memory, it's spelled like E-I or whatever. It's some weird spelling. Well, the word- What is, um, what is eidetic memory? It's like photographic memory, like where you just remember oh, really? everything. Yeah. Do you have that? Are you a savant? No, absolutely not. I wish I had no. that. I have fucking ter <laughs> terrible, terrible memory, dude. Like, yeah, I think if you had an eidetic memory, you would just be such a good chess player and I'm a trash chess player. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know, there's one thing I really want to know. And that is, there's about, a, 
about like 700 milliseconds of a track that you did with Andrew Huang that I've listened to so many times. And every time I listen to it, it makes my face be like, like every time. And, and it's that fucking, I think it's the first drop on that tune you did with Andrew Huang. And I don't know how you've made that noise. It's mm. like this fucking sample takes this crazy journey. Maybe it's something quite simple. Maybe you just fucked with a couple of filters. Maybe there's a Comey thing in there. Maybe you're doing something with midside. I don't know what it is, but it fucks my head up well, every project, time I hear it. It's the, amazing. The project file is on my website. You can just download it and look. Well, I fucking will. Yeah, I, I, can, <laughs> I can give you an account. Yeah, after the podcast, I'll hook you up with an account. Um, I have Sick. tons and tons of project files on my website, along with other shit like tutorials and whatnot. But um, yeah, I try to like, I try to give away as many. Um, project files as I can pretty much. I, and the only reason I ever don't is because a label like Mousetrap, for instance, just doesn't want me to. But if oh, I, right. whatever I self-release, I release the projects for sure. Cause you know, same thing as you were saying before, it's like, it's, it is like kind of off cuts of the, you know, main product, which is, um, you know, the song itself. Uh, but at the same time, <clears throat> um, you know, a lot of people are interested in those off cuts. You have a concern that um, you need to keep innovating because you've given literally the project files to the songs you've made to people that they can just like tweak and change and make their own and like yeah. But I th I think that's a good thing, right? Because then it forces me to right. be, be on my toes. Um, like one thing Louis C.K. said, uh, which I think was really um, insightful, is he said, was, every "Do you mind if I masturbate while you watch?" Does that? But he also said. Um, <laughs> Uh, that that was the second most insightful thing he's ever said. <laughs> the most insightful thing was um, he said every year uh, he trashes his entire comedy set and then just keeps the the one best joke from that set that was like making everyone lose their shit and then he starts with it the next year and then he has to make everything after that huh. funnier, you know? So it's like... It's a way of forcing himself to continuously get better. Whereas somebody, and he got that from George Carlin. That's possible, yeah. Um, and there's yeah, well, yeah. In the same same round round table conversation I was listening to, um, Jerry Seinfeld was like, "Well, what I do is like each year I kind of scrap the worst ten percent and then just like add another ten percent in, and then like you know every ten years or something, my set is completely recycled." Um, mm. So I mean, if you yeah, I, I think that's. That's an interesting way to do it. So I kind of have been taking that Louis philosophy um, just in this sense, like not in the masturbation sense. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just <laughs> yeah, I've just been I've been taking his philosophy in that like um, in some in you know a weird way where it's like uh, I always just sort of have to start fresh with my ideas basically because I'm constantly just sort of like for lack of a better word trashing the rest but I'm not really like trashing the rest it's just it's almost like when I give away a project file or when I give away a tutorial it's almost like I'm letting go of that secret you know because now it's not a secret right. anymore and it's like it's not a thing that I can just like store and hoard to myself and keep doing over and over again and be like a one-trick pony that relies on this thing anymore because now everyone has access to it so, wow so that's quite psychologically useful for you to give it away I actually think it is yeah I think it's really helpful wow. for like artistic growth that's fucking really interesting because the, the, the idea of like sort of purging it from yourself like letting it go into the stream like be gone you are now 
your, your public property. Now I have to grow and try things a slightly different way. That's amazing. Dope. I've never thought about it like that. It's funny, I was always really guarded about um, how my systems have worked over the years because I just didn't want anyone to catch up, didn't want any like pretenders to my throne or whatever. And like, that's so dumb because if you genuinely do have anything as an artist, it's the shit you do, not the shit you use to do it. You know? uh, yeah, that's exactly right. And I feel the same way. It's like if everybody had access to the exact same tricks and the exact same tools and the exact same samples and the exact same speakers and the, like if everything was identical and every producer had access to it, you still wouldn't get two identical producers. Nah. You know, and, and I, I had... Yeah, I had Jacob Collier come and use uh, my live rig a few years ago. It was a couple of years ago, and he made it sound just unbelievable because he's Jacob Collier and he comes from another dimension. And like, I, yeah, that blew my mind. Really blew my mind. Right. So it's like he's all the same genius. effects and macros and whatnot that you've set up, yeah. and you just showed him how to use it, and he just pulled out completely different results. Yeah, and he managed just to. But I mean, it, it it became what he, you know, it's it's just a studio. It's just a, my shit is just a a very streamlined Yeah, it's an instrument. Studio. It's sort of like guitar, right? Like, you know, you have one or two different, you know, major differently designs of guitar, like let's just say acoustic and electric. Um, and you have like millions of guitarists and a lot of them are extremely different from one another. You know, somebody who's... Mm. You know, like Steve Vai is completely different to somebody like, I don't know, uh, what's that guy's name? Django Reinhardt or whatever. You know, they're completely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. God, it's amazing. Music's so amazing. It's so weird uh, as a, th like, it doesn't exist really. Like, it's, it's all in our minds, you know. I mean, like, you could say, well, of course it exists. It's like, you know, you can see the waveform. Yeah, but. That also doesn't exist. That's just like a list of values that can be shown in a variety of ways. Are you saying uh, we live in the simulation? No. <laughs> I'm not saying that. That's some bullshit. And I'll tell you why. <laughs> There's, um, is it Anselm's proof of God that like, is it? Or is it St. Augustine or something? Like, oh, fuck knows. Anyway, there's this one like proof that there must be a God which is that, like, um, uh, if, there, if, there, if there is a God, uh, if there is a perfect being, then the perfect being must exist because existence is more perfect than not existing, which is some dumb Monty Python bullshit just playing with a priori concepts and it doesn't, it's not helpful or instructive in any way. Mm. And I feel that's the same argument with the simulation. I mean, you could probably go in, more into it, but, like, also it kind of cancels out. It just doesn't matter. It could, it's, okay, so it's a simulation. And yeah, what? it's like the experience is the same regardless. So like, yeah. Yeah. I feel like every podcast needs to ask this question because it's an unanswerable one. <laughs> Where did the universe come from? I don't know. Let's think about it a lot. <laughs> yeah, not just a little bit. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm super into philosophy uh, to the extent that I've like just watched a bunch of YouTube videos about it. But um, yeah, it's a... I, I, yeah, I think I'm like pretty philosophical with the way I look at stuff most of the time. Unlike that doesn't just... surprise me. That doesn't surprise me actually because like my approach is very kind of 
from from first principles, how would I like to make music and make art and do stuff? And I'm quite sort of dogged in my pursuit of uh, of of my methodologies. Like I know what I want to do, and I'll kind of bend the technology to my will to make it do it. And the other people that I know that do that, the, the specific thing that I that I do are Jamie Liddell, who had the same kind of back to basics. I want to kind of just extemporize music without capture it before I've had a chance to mm-hmm. actually process cognitively what I'm actually doing. And Tim Exile as well. Uh, yeah. And those three people, um, we all studied philosophy at hmm. university, which will kind of unpick your mind. It pulls all the wires out of the brain modular. That's awesome that <laughs> you studied philosophy. <laughs> well, I, I say I studied philosophy. I mainly smoked a lot of weed and read the introductions of loads of books. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, well kind of I got thing. to the end of the Right, yeah, I got to the end of the course and was like, I don't know if that helped me to be more employable at all. So I I, I went and did You're like, if anything, design. I'm now less employable because I just asked too many questions. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they're like, um, so what experience <laughs> do you have? Well, it depends what you mean by experience. Fuck off. Get out of my fucking office. Yeah, it's not a good <laughs> thing to study for employment, but it's interesting. It so, clears um, the decks. Speaking of like your your setup and other people that do it, um, have, you've probably heard of DubFX, right? Oh, for sure. Would you consider yeah, him dope. to be sort of on the the same type of doing the same type of thing? Or, um, I mean, yeah, I guess so because he's looping and he's beatboxing and singing, but he's actually very different from me in terms of, I guess, uh, his approach to music making because he tends to go for the standard singer-songwriter model of song composition and then performance. Mm. And his improvisation tends not to feature all that much in his shows from what I understand. I might be wrong about that, but the last time I spoke to him, I think that's where we got to when we were kind of talking about the differences in our approach that Mm. he likes to perform songs. And he's actually kind of moving away from the one man on a looper vibe and going more for some pre-recorded stuff and stuff that isn't 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 looping at all, kind of triggering samples. Um, and his music is informed by a lot of the same things that mine is, I guess, when it's like sort of dub wire stuff and, and drum and bass and things like that. But um, I can get much more on like a sort of improvised techno tip quite easily. And I tend to improvise everything anyway. And I, I tend to inject lots of comedy into what I do and I, I actively seek out ways to do that better. But I think what what Dub Effects does is he's less concerned about about whether or not it's all created in the moment and more just concerned about making the music that he has in his head. Mm. So not necessarily, I wouldn't put him in the same category of of, of lunatic that me and Jamie Nadell and Tim Exile are and in. And would you put Reggie Watts in that category of lunatic? I would. Yeah, and Mark Rebier as well. It's this kind mm. of this like obsession with improvisation is fairly rare to find because most people that have like you know got a career in music, it's because they rehearse their shit and they play well and they've rehearsed it. So it's quite it's quite dumb to just venture out on stage with no idea of what you're going to do. But mm. I'm addicted to it. I've always been addicted to that. To like to not knowing what I'm going to do is such a... I prefer that feeling of terror that just 
fucking puts a rod up my ass to be like, just fucking, you better do some shit. It better be dope every second that you're doing it. And it's like riding a roller coaster when you're doing that kind of stuff. But um, for me, that's better than the feeling of like doing some shit that I've rehearsed because I always have this nagging thing in my head being like, am I really in this? Am I really like, am I phoning this in? Yeah, it's you easy know, to like get imposter syndrome when you, you know, quantize everything and all that kind of stuff. Um, do you do you ever get that feeling though uh, when you get off stage? Uh, which like I used to play in bands and I used to get this feeling all the time. Like if I listen back to a recording, I'd be like, "Fuck, I could have done that a little bit better." Or like, "Ah, oh, yeah." Have and um, yeah, I don't know. Or, or are you pretty good at like just li- listening back to a thing if you ever do that and just being like, "Oh, whatever, that one's done now." Like on to the next one. Um. That's an interesting question for me because actually I spend an enormous amount of time thinking about that exact question to the point that I've got thinking about that question down to an art because what I do these days during like the end times is um, mostly streaming improvised stuff with the Patreon audience there they're all talking and chipping in. I'm sampling them in real time and putting them in. And then we're like going through like re-whack like 70s adverts and laughing at them. And then I'm sampling them and it's all a free-for-all. But what I do at the end is chop out the good bits and make them into content for the various platforms. So the process of that edit is, I guess, that question. It's like, you know, you asked, can I watch the shit back? Uh, and yeah, I can, but I know quite well now which bits I should cut out. And I, I've, I've crafted my whole system and my whole approach to, to what I play and how I play it and how I control it live around things I've noticed when I've listened back. So for fucking over a decade, I've been doing live shit and then listening back afterwards, maybe I'm like smoking a spliff and I'm like, oh this was the dopest, but then the next day, I've listened back again, and I'm like, now oh, this sucks. And, and really, in the moment, in the club, it was great, and, you know, a live improvised set, generally speaking, will be best experienced by people who are there watching it being done. Like my, um, uh, the, the guru uh, that I listen to mostly for sort of improvisational philosophy is Keith Johnston, who wrote a book uh, you'd love his shit. Uh, check out two books by Keith Johnston. One is called um, Improv. The other one is called um, Improv for Storytellers. Um, Keith it, might be called, it might be Impro. It might be Impro. It's either Impro or Improv. Um, I think the first one's imp- Impro and this one's Impro for Storytellers. Um, and the first book goes... in the theatre. Nice. Yeah. So it, 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 he he did... Like what he pioneered in the 60s... Uh, living in England and then Canada, ended up becoming Whose Line Is It Anyway? Um, But he he wasn't involved in Whose Line Is It Anyway, but his teachings made Whose Line Is It Anyway possible. Nobody was doing, quote-unquote, theatre sports until Keith Johnson popularised this stuff. And he basically divined these universal laws of creativity, narrative structure and storytelling and improvisation and mask work, um, as in, like, inhabiting a character through some or other totem, be it a mask or an accent or something. All these things are in his philosophy, which you can read in those two books. And I live by that shit. 
And one of the things he said in this book was, um, it has to actually be good. Like, it's not good enough for, you know, if you come out and you go, hello, ladies and gentlemen, everything's going to be improvised tonight. So everything you hear will be off the top of your head. So, you know, if it's shit, you know, don't, you know I sometimes do say that because it's, it's a funny way to start a show. But like, <laughs> um, uh, but the, his philosophy is, is like, if you went into a restaurant and the waiter was like, the food might taste horrible, but the chef's improvising. So there you go. Like, you wouldn't go to that fucking restaurant. <laughs> so, um, yeah, over the years, my systems have been improved incrementally by things I've noticed by listening back to gigs, where I'm like, yeah, that felt cool in the moment, but I need to add this feature. Yeah, that felt cool in the moment, but I need this feature. And comparing and contrasting with the music I want it to sound like till I've got to the point today where um, I think I'm finally at a point where I can sort of basically put up a whole stream that I've done where it wasn't in a club, so people were getting off on the how sick the bass actually physically was in the room or by how live it felt or how exciting it was or how pissed they were. Like, the music I'm making now genuinely stands up against the music that I'm trying to, the music I have in my head. Um, nice. And the feedback I'm getting says the same. That's awesome, um, man. Yeah. Um, speaking of which, uh, let's talk about your setup a little bit because I, I would love to understand how that works. I Like, I kind of understand a little bit what's going on, but... Um, yeah, there's some definitely some what looks to be touch OSC stuff going on on iPads, which looks pretty bespoke to this setup. It's Lima. Oh, Lima, okay. Yeah, Lima by Line. <clears throat> and I got some really good news the other day because I thought that they'd abandoned the company. I thought that the company had disbanded, but actually um, I'm testing out the new betas of their nice. stuff. So they are maintaining, which I'm super pleased about because, yeah. Do I've got like four four, four iPads, iPads. Yeah. yeah, and they're the ones with the big screens, and yeah, it's kind of like the only people that I know that do shit this way are me and Dead Mouse. I don't know hmm. of anyone else who <laughs> relies on touch surfaces, and uh, and Dead Mouse uses his own um, touch OSC pilot, I think. He calls yeah, it. and he has that like giant screen on stage that he uses to like. Yeah, yeah, and. Um, I was actually talking with the guy that develops it for him the other day and I was asking like how many features are you intending to put in this thing because I need things like you know fucking conditional logic between functions and all these mad interdependencies and I need really specific things about if you touch a button it needs to do something when you release the button it needs to do something else um, or it needs to do nothing when you touch it and then only do something if you then break one of the walls of the button with mm. your finger or so, all these like gestures which you might have seen them on touch screens. You might have interacted with iOS or whatever mm -hmm. by doing swipes or pinches and things like this. But there's so much about touch screens that's underused. There's a, do you know about TC11? It's an iOS app. No. Oh, fucking get it, man. It's amazing. It's like, it's wild. And it's, um, it was made by some people at some or other university. I can't remember which one, but it, it's, it's got these gestures and then meta gestures. So I don't use it in this rig. I have actually used it in older rigs, but I haven't got around to incorporating it. It's crazy for sound design. Like, it looks like something out of uh, Minority Report. And um, with that, you can put your finger on the screen, put another finger on the screen, and then it starts to measure the distance between the fingers. It measures the angle of rotation between the fingers. It measures the speed 
between the fingers, the speed of each independent finger, uh, it can measure the time between finger presses, and all of those can be assigned to any variable in the synthesis engine. It's fucking yeah. wild. Yeah, it looks really it, cool. I'm just looking at it now on the internet. It's great. Just, just get it. <laughs> and they do a MIDI version, which makes no noise, but you could fucking control a giant modular thing with it. With like, and it's got obviously it uses the gyroscope as well and all this kind of stuff. So yeah, like I kind of have that philosophy with the way that I interact with my rig, which is like, you know, why would you? Yeah, it's great when you can hammer a physical button. There's low latency, you get reliable haptic feedback. It feels like you're touching something. That's all cool, and there is a place for that. And I do have like big rubber buttons on a Novation Launchpad, which I have to use for things like sample triggering and stuff like that. If I've recorded a sample. I don't want to be touching a touchscreen. I could. There's pretty low latency these days on these things, but not as low as with a, a rubber button. But um, the amount of control that I need and the amount of complexity that I need to produce dance music in real time is um, it's only really achievable with a touchscreen. Like, because you have to do... Like, for example, I've got, like, um, <clears throat> for the live streams, I've got a three-way button, which um, at the... Top extent, it lets sound through and the sound can be recorded into my recording buffer. In the middle, it lets sound through, but the sound's not recorded. And on the bottom, uh, the uh, the sound does not come through. So that's how I mute everyone. If, if it's getting a bit too raucous and I'm just trying to make some tunes, I'll turn them off. But like a really efficient way for me to build that was to sort of build a little container and then put like a, a sort of three, you know, it's a, it's a sort of an XY but it's uh, sort of it snaps to these three positions. So it's, it's an easy thing to make in something like Lima, but if you wanted to implement that on a sort of rubber button touch surface thing, you're looking at a few buttons that you've just used up. Um, so there's things you can sort of hide in gestures with a touch screen that there's no other way to do. Like for example, on um, I've got this tune knob here. So if I go, uh, uh, right, so then I can go, uh, oh, why isn't that working? Oh, maybe it's not. Oh, hang on. Uh, you got to cut that out. <laughs> Wait, I think maybe the... Did that... Oh, no, that's weird. Did I break that? Oh, fuck knows why that's not working. Oh, no, sorry, because I'm pressing the wrong button, because I'm a cunt. Right, hang on. Uh, right, here we go. Okay, so sim something simple like that. So there's like a huge range on that bend. Mm -hmm. uh, so in this one button, which is maybe the size of like a thumbnail, uh, I can I've got fine control by moving it just you know a few centimeters to the right or left. Or um, if I put it outside the area of the button, then it goes into sort of wild territory. And then if I press the button and flick it down, then it goes back to the tone that it was recorded at. Um, but you can't do that with a f knob. Mm. Like you could if you have, like, I think the um, MIDI fighter has a mode where you can uh, press the button in so D you can do more fine control. Yeah, it's called detent. Uh-huh. And you can, yeah, yeah so you, there is kind of functionality for that kind of stuff. Um, maybe that was a bad example. Here's another, <laughs> here's one. Um, for like saturation. Uh, uh, okay, so that's like, 
It's just kind of a distortion-y kind of wave-foldy kind of thing. So that's actually an XY, so you've got the shape um, of the distortion here. And then you've got the extent here. So you probably can't, that's not a good example, but you can't. Maybe I'll do a sine wave. So, yeah, maybe it'll be more pronounced here. So I'll just put on a tiny bit of uh, saturation. So that has its own sonic character, but then on the x-axis... Oh, fuck it, maybe it's, it's, it's subtle. <laughs> but though, basically, those two things are different. But that's a tiny button. Maybe, oh, here's one that's more obvious. Right, here's an LFO, so... So I've got the speed and the amount of the LFO um, tied to the uh, X and the Y axis, respectively. And that's on a tiny button like that isn't possible without a touch screen. So if you wanted to have a bit, well, even if you wanted to have like a big XY on a touch screen to do that, like, I don't know. I don't know how you would do that with a physical piece of hardware. Yeah, you would need, you need something to have that's some... really large or maybe just like a big array of chaos pads or something like that. Yeah, but so this, you can have things where the area of activation is uh, lies just more beyond ergonomic. The, the boundaries of the box where you originally touch it. And yeah, this yeah. is a relative, so I had to like script this myself because Lima didn't have it, but it's a, it's a relative XY, which is a useful thing to have. So you can kind of take your hand off and it remembers the position. Hmm. Um, so yeah, I couldn't do this any other way because... What if I had to have all these? Because these knobs are really small, but luckily because they're just like a single finger area that you need to access them, they can be really tightly packed and they're still very accessible in the moment. But mm. if you wanted to use a MIDI fighter to have eight knobs, you're talking about a big block uh, where they, or you have to have like space between the knobs to touch them. So I'm really tied to, I mean, there's loads of other shit in here I could talk about, but like I'm really tied to touch screens for that reason for breaking the boundaries of a box and still having functionality. So there's like, I've got this like But that's, for the fine control, I just stay within the boundaries of the box and then you only get kind of subtle kind of stuff. But then if you take this. You know. So is each iPad kind of dedicated to slightly different things? Or? Uh, yeah, so uh, the top left iPad is my drums and rather awkwardly, which kind of breaks the design scheme of it, the controls for my synth. And my synth is uh, one instance of crossfade loop synth by Expert Sleepers. And it's the only thing I could find that existed in VST form that allows you to sample instantly. 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 So... Wait, that's so that's I, a, I a module or is it a... Oh, you said it's a VST. It's a yeah, VST called uh, Crossfade Loop Synth and mm. it's good. And if you if you just... Yeah, it's just that and a bunch of uh, subtractive synthesis and basic kind of wave-foldy kind of stuff and standard kind of effects. We're all using Tornado by Sugarbytes. Nice. And But it's... What I like is that because the source wave is always my voice and my voice is imperfect... Um, it's kind of different every time. So it's not like choosing a patch on a synthesizer. And it, these controllers like, are all controlling Ableton, right? Yeah, the whole thing is hosted in Ableton. And 
uh, yeah, the, the iPads make no noise themselves. <clears throat> mm-hmm. um, They're not like yeah. storing any buffer or anything like that? There's no audio passing through them. They're just yeah. literally, uh, it's interface stuff. So yeah, the first iPad is is uh, drums and the drums are separated into uh, three loopers. There's kicks and full loops if I want to do them. Uh, basically, it's just got full bass extension. And then the middle one is snares, which has a bit of a cutoff. Um, and then hi-hats, which has quite an extreme cutoff. Um, so that's nice places to put those kind of those kind of sonic elements and then in the melodic group I've got bass um, melody and pads and each of those has effects again in tornado per channel to enhance those particular musical categories so just slight differences in control and stuff like that um, and then they all are grouped into this melodic bus which also, also has another instance of tornado by Sugar Bites. And the only reason why it's Tornado is because I like the way it works. Um, it's quite a fun, reliable playground for effects where you can't get too carried away because you've only got eight modules to use per instance of this plugin. It's all designed for like super low CPU um, and latency. So it doesn't matter what you throw into it. It's going to work. Um, and it's well supported. I like the Sugar Bites guys. They're brilliant. And they've sort of put some of my presets into the plugin and loads of feature requests and updates and bug fixes and stuff like that. And then my bottom right iPad is the kind of final uh, master bus. So that again, more effects using Tornado. And there's a lot of Ableton native stuff as well. No other third-party plugins purely because I tried to add third-party VSTs other than Sugarbytes Tornado and um, it's Augustus Loop by Expert Sleepers that I use for the Looper. I tried to add other things and they all seem to introduce CPU overload or latency that I don't want to deal with. So just to keep it really lean and slim and light on the CPU, it's amazing what you can achieve with just Ableton's built-in stuff. Also, I just didn't want... I'd had bad experiences with third-party stuff going out of date, not being supported, and then I've come to rely on it and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. I just figure if I stick with native Ableton stuff, just to see how far I can get with that, then that's always good. There's there's not very much Max for Live in it either. There's like little bits here and there. Like my live quantizer is something that was built for me by my friend Sebastian Lexa, who's amazing. Yeah, nice. And there's... there's is it a basically BP- like a gate that opens and shuts and then like just lets the MIDI notes through that are... How's it working? Because it, it obviously... It ke- it queues them up. It queues up uh, note-on messages mm-hmm. and only uh, lets them through on the 16th like, yeah, or the yeah. 8th. So it's basically probably it just to. like a gate opening and shutting or something like that at a certain quantizable rate, right? No, it actually queues them up in a list. Oh, cool. Because, uh, yeah, well, because it has to because it's a note-on event. So um, it has to kind of store that note-on event and then then trigger it. And mm-hmm. then it dumps them if uh, if it's gone past the past the line. Yeah, that's sick. Um, it, it's it's fucking sick because you can just sort of spaff all over the machine. Like this machine is kind of, it's it's well enough put together that it's hard to make a non-musical result. You could still make <laughs> dog shit if uh, if like if I try to use it drunk, it just doesn't. It isn't good. Uh, <laughs> like if you didn't know what you're doing with it, you'd make some bullshit. But it's hard to make something that sounds out of time. You can take all the quantization off which I often do if I'm trying to make like a sort of Diller-esque beat or something, then I'll take all the quantization off and deliberately just kind of vibe it. But um, if you want to make really tight drum and bass, you can do that. And if, or if you want to make really like 
rugged techno. It's kind of like that. Um, it's part of this philosophy of like embracing the the mess and sort of embracing the noise and crafting with the noise, like embracing mistakes and kind of intru- deliberately introducing errors, like mm. a certain amount of kind of stochastic creativity, and then just refining that down in real time. So, for example, if I wanted to make some techno. I'll do something deliberately dumb, like, and then I'll just, and I've got that, you know, then I can set a BPM. I've I've got now got a click in my ear that you can't hear, but then if I'm like, if I'm like, then if I'm like, then if I'm like, was like yeah there's not much that went into making that but very quickly it starts to sound like techno <laughs> it's yeah, like yeah yeah it's sick man yeah it's such a cool setup <laughs> and the um is it a launch pad on the left uh oh yeah i think it's flipped for you from where you're looking yeah it's yeah. on the right here yeah um yeah standard launch pad pro um seems to do the job yeah yeah. You know that like, yeah. So we had an idea that was like, I still want to do it. I still really want to do it. Um, basically to make a whole bunch. Of, it's, I want to do it like as a video though, to do it properly. Mm-hmm. Um, basically be like, what's up? I'm going to record loads of noises for Mr. Bill. And then I'll record all the noises and just go wild and weird. Just make the weirdest fucking noises I possibly can. Because you can do all this mad iterative stuff, which isn't a million miles away from the way that you do your um, like sort of open freeform sound design sessions that you then cut from where like <laughs> yeah I, I think that's cool <laughs> so yeah, that's the kind of thing that I would be giving you. <laughs> would that yeah, be useful? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Definitely. It's quite noisy, but yeah, you could, you could use it. I, I often find the noisier a signal, like the more high frequency and distortion and stuff that it has in it, the harder it usually is to work with, but you can always right. like filter it back and then re-distort after filters and stuff like that. Well, I, yeah, I don't have to, it, yeah. I, but that, well, that's good actually to get that direction. So then I won't give you shit that's too fucking mental. But I suppose like, would you be wanting stuff that's, um, like I could easily give you something that's like, like a sort of just like a, an indie, like a finished track that's just in stems, you know, uh, or I could give you something that was like really unpolished, wild, sound design adventures or something in between i think you know something I mean? that's more of a track would make more sense and then i can sort <laughs> of like produce over the top of that or whatever rather right. than having to like make music out of a um <laughs> sound design <laughs> yeah 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 
Right, right. right. I, well, it depends. I just wonder what what a good challenge would be. The, like, what kind of thing you like to get your teeth into? You know what I mean? The thing you were making at the start was sick. That like tipper style sounding beat, like that oh, yeah. old school tip hop vibe thing. Tip is amazing, man. Tip is like his his tiny face track. Mm. I still think that's one of the best comedy routines in the, in the whole, in the whole history of comedy. It's amazing. It's a tune that ends up slapping itself in the face. Wait, why? Like, why do you think it's comedic? It's like it, like it, like that tune gives me this like delight that most music, like your music, does it as well. This kind of like like there's humor in it. Do you know what I mean? Like mm. that. I mean, I don't know. Tell a, a grandmother how to suck eggs, but do you know what I mean. It's like <laughs> I don't know. You know this. You make the shit, but it's like <laughs> I don't know. Do you see? Do you, I mean you must see the parallels between like a good comedy bit and like a, uh, a a tune with levity in it, or like 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 Nirvana songs? I feel like they're comedy bits, not because they're mm. funny, because there's irony in them, and there's like a a journey and sort of reincorporation of themes, and like it's self-effacing. And I feel like that tiny face tune by Tipper, it's done with so much comedy that like you can't take that tune seriously. It still bangs. But like, it's just like very cheeky, kind of so cheeky, so silly, so funny, and so uplifting mm. and dumb. Like, it, there's this one part where, like, literally the tune's going whoa, yeah, like that, <laughs> and you can hear this like slapping noise. It just sounds like someone's going oh, yeah, like this. It's so fucking funny. It's amazing. I mean, he he's made loads of incredible fucking music, but that one tune for me is like one of the greatest moments. I guess Spunyan is kind of like that too, right? Spunyan has got that same sort of like, oh, oh, yeah, ah, oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's so wild. It's fucking, but your music's got loads of that shit in it. That's like, there's so much like awareness and I don't want to say comedy, but that's, that's what keeps coming to mind. Mm. No, I like, kind of understand what you mean. It, and that stuff yeah. becomes like really apparent. I think when you're on psychedelics, right? Like when you're listening to music <laughs> and uh, something happens in the tune or whatever, and you're like, "How could they possibly?" <laughs> <laughs> well, I love you. Like, I mean, yeah, I I heard you saying the other day that like you come from like a breakcore background, you know, sort of. I come from like a more of a psytrance background, but yeah, also breakcore and like IDM as well. You know I think my, passenger- my my progression went like um, uh, metal then Psytrance, then like Breakcore and then more IDM stuff. Yeah, yeah, I know Passenger of Shit and sh- <laughs> uh, Shit Wank Records. <laughs> I know I didn't even have to repeat yeah, to yeah. finish the word. I mean, yeah, I, I think Passenger of Shit is better than the Beatles. I just, it's, it's yeah. so solid, wild, Solid claim. <laughs> <laughs> That's my hot take for the day. No, but like I love like <laughs> deliberately annoying music. It's so funny. But like, I feel like your music has has an awareness that music like um, Girlfriend of the Year or um, Shitwank Records kind of stuff or like Tim Exile's early work, this kind of thing comes from this place of like some kind of um, impatience that manifests as delight. Mm. I get that with like the the intricacy but it's not your shit isn't just intricate there's levity in there where like you'll pull back on an idea just in time and there's a lot of that in in like in like modern dubstep and rhythm and all kinds of stuff but like 
yours especially, I feel like you're you're so open to playing with textures and arrangements and stuff like that. And there's so much musicality in it. Yeah, you rule. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, man. Can you speaking of rhythm, can you make rhythm on this on this setup? Probably. Um can you make I, you know yoinks, what? yoink bases. A yoink. Yeah, you I, know I those classic even... rhythm bases. They're like boom, yoink, boom, yoink, yoink, yoink. <laughs> As in what, like fucking? Isn't this like yoink, yoink, yoink? Uh, that's that's more that's, like old. That's school. more of a yoink. That's, yeah, that's a the two thousand. That's the the two thousand and eleven wub. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yoink, yoink, yoink. That's more of a yoink for sure. Mm. Yeah, I think that's the yeah the classic get that new dubstep yeah. sound. Yeah, something like that. I need to. It's so cool Something like that. to just be able to make music in real time. It must be like so much more satisfying than what I do, which is just like fucking sitting here for hours fucking around with drums and like bass sounds and stuff. I mean, I think I'm doing some of the same stuff and what you're doing so much more finessed. Like that's the one thing that you can't do with this is really finesse. Well, if you're mix. recording stems out, you can, right? You just can't yeah. do it in real time. No, exactly. Um, so, I mean, you know, if I want to do a snare, I can do layering to be like, uh, you know, and then to sort of record over that with a bit of a, and then, uh, and for a bass, give it a, and then give it and maybe a bit of, uh, yeah. So Dude, yeah. that actually sounds sick. It fucking does. Uh. So, yeah. <laughs> Surprised how much, like, uh, like tactility you get out of the launch pad. I never found it to be that tactile. Maybe it's like a newer version or something. I got like the original launch pad, and I always found the, the buttons to be a little fucky. Yeah, I uh I like it a lot. I find it to be uh... <laughs> 
<laughs> I like it. I think That's it's good. um yeah. No, I think it's good. I think it's good. Good, good, good. Good, good. I like it. I like it a lot. That's a bit much, isn't it? <laughs> so on the launch pad if you're just going up a line does that just pitch the drums up yeah it does and that took some fuckery to get right because yeah. i had to make a, like a, a whole bunch of midi filters being put through specific channels that only send certain midi notes all sort of you know corrected their values through to the same instrument because yeah is that basically using uh like a MIDI effect track plus the scale plugin plus pitch exactly. plugins. Yeah, yeah makes sense. exactly. Like multiple MIDI channels to pull that off, which is irritating, but it is what it is. Yeah. yeah. But it's all yeah, worth it. Ableton needs to get a little better with the MIDI routing. I mean, the external instrument uh, device is really useful to be able to send MIDI. Uh, it's what I use for, for instance, like side chaining. I just like send the MIDI from my kick or my snare to like a side chain as well by just doubling up the rack in, in like an instrument rack and then putting an external instrument running in parallel with the sampler or whatever and then send the MIDI that way. Um, what? You use the external instrument um, utility to send MIDI to where? To literally outside the... Just and back in again. No, 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 just inside the session. Um, so I, I use it just to send MIDI from my drum channel to my sidechain channel. But I didn't like, know you could do but that without with having external instrument thing. Yeah, without having to create a whole nother MIDI track to like, you know, as a through sort of thing. That's a cool hack. I didn't know that was a thing. I thought that was for audio only, the external instrument. Mm, oh, no, I've just it's... never fucking looked at that. That's awesome. Yeah, it sends MIDI. I mean, that's the whole point of it, right? It's like sending MIDI somewhere and then sending audio back in. It's like some all-in-one stop shop to do that. But right, you, can, of you can just use the MIDI bit and like don't use the audio bit. And you can use the MIDI bit without it going out. You can do that like... Internally in Ableton. In, internally without mm -hmm. having to leave the box. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, I might have a little play with that. Yeah, you might be able to Rabbit reduce. hole to go there. <laughs> yeah. You could reduce your channel count by a whole one channel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, it's funny over the years i've learned when something is a uh a rabbit hole like where you know i've learned i've learned where the quicksand lies do you know what i mean totally yeah you got to be careful i mean i like one of those rabbit holes for me for instance is like plugin companies sending me plugins to beta test <laughs> um which yeah. like i've i'm like I, I'm so bad at turning it down, right? Because I'm like, new plugins, fuck yeah. Um, <laughs> but it's, yeah, it is a rabbit hole. And if I say yes to all of them, I just end up having no time. I, I'm always just like learning a new plugin. I'm terrible because I'll beg a company to like send me a thing and then I just won't use it. Or they'll, I'll be like, <laughs> or, or they'll, they'll contact me because they want me to try it out. And I'll be like, yeah, definitely. I'll make a whole video on it. And then I just don't. Or I open it and um, I'm like, ugh. <laughs> and then I just it's hard it sometimes. 
like companies often think the same for me, right? Like they give me a, a plugin or whatever and they're like, yeah, you want to make a video? And I'm, my answer to them now is just like, if I gel with it and think it's really sick, then yeah, I'll like most likely use a video, uh, make a video or in at the very least case, I'll be using it on my stream all the time if I really like it. So, um, <clears throat> but How yeah. often do you stream your productions? Do you stream like every production you do or are there some things that you'd want to like never show anyone? I stream everything I can, um, but I'm often working on stuff that I can't stream, like uh, you know, working on projects for other people or working on I don't know, just boring shit as well, like you know, accounting or like stuff like that. <laughs> Live streaming your taxes. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh Jesus Christ! I quite I if that if 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 it wasn't for the fact that that was a terrible idea, that's the kind of thing I'd like some company for, like. It's the most, I think even Einstein said that like, he's like, physics isn't complicated, like tax law is complicated. It's like, you'll, you'll, you'll learn to understand. This is why I love Steve Duda so much. Cause like, he like forced himself to learn to code specifically so he could make the things that he felt he would like to make. And I think mm -hmm. if you're led by, like, it's like I'm learning Max MSP at the moment because there are specific things that I need. So. I'm learning Max MSP quickly because I really need to know how to build this specific object. So I'll like make the interface for it and I'll be like, right, what do I need to do to make this work? And that's like, you'll learn really fast when you're teaching yourself because there's resources for learning anything these days on the internet, but oh, you just totally. need to have the, the, the impetus to do it. Yeah, that's totally true. Um, you don't need to go to college anymore if you don't really have the money or don't want to, if you have the discipline and if you have the time. Uh, but yeah, it's, a, it's really hard to drive yourself to learn new things, I find. Like I tried, I've tried to learn so many things this year. I, actually, one of them was Max. Like I tried to get further down that rabbit hole and eventually stopped. Um, and I wouldn't bother unless there's something specific that you really want to build that you need. Do you know what I mean? If there is, if there's there, a thing you've got in your head, then there you'll do usually it. is. Like every now and then, I'll be like, "Fuck, I wish I could do this," and then I'll just like find a workaround because I can't be bothered learning Max, or like, <laughs> or I'll just convince myself that doing that thing isn't that important to me, or something. <laughs> I mean, I mean, your music's sick anyway. Are, are, are there things? Is it more for live stuff, like controlling? live stuff that you want to use it's, Max for? It's usually for like utility, utility type stuff, like um, making sample packs, for instance, you know, like I wish there was an right. easier way to do that or like, you know, sound design sessions, like I wish there was a better way to like scrub through all my crap and organize it and stuff like that. There's, it's usually stuff like that. Yeah, I heard you say that you downloaded um, Juice and you were going to try and get into that and then didn't. I downloaded Juice once upon a time, yeah, and I, I didn't get into that. The things I've gotten into this year mostly that I've actually like stuck with and that I'm super into is mountain biking, chess, baking, and that's about <laughs> it. Fair enough. It's good to have hobbies outside of music because uh, yeah. it would be very easy to go mental if you only did one thing. There's a guy who I know um, called Onyx Ashanti. And if you don't know his work, then you should check it out because it'll make you feel very, very normal. Um, he like he he uh, he busks on the streets of. Um, Whoa, this guy looks intense. He's he's quite special. Um, he busks and he only takes payment in Bitcoin. 
Mm. Um, but that's the least crazy thing about him. He like when I met him, he was playing one of those ewe things, you know, like a, a electronic clarinet MIDI thing that you blow into. Mm-hmm. And then he was like, "I have a dream where I can like have my hands free." So he like designed these like three D printed things that he built himself, where it's got the functionality of one of these MIDI clarinet things, but you can separate your hands apart. Oh, um, yeah, so it's like I'm a two-handed thing. Seeing these things that he's got now, they look pretty. Technical. Yeah, and na- yeah, yeah. Well, now it's it no longer resembles like a, a a MIDI oboe. Now it's a fucking suit that he wears, and he's three D printed these like <laughs> circles all over his body. He wears it as a suit. I think he's augmented his skin with it now. I think, I think he's embedded it into his face, but I couldn't be sure because his photos on Instagram are really kind of fuzzy and he now doesn't even speak English like his last post that I saw from him was I think I'm about to transcend language and now he only speaks through his through his through his like 3D printed well he made a robo mesh he made a post 17 hours ago that's in English on Twitter oh that's good what does it say it says like that ellipses 1182021 YouTube link by YouTube this is all I ever wanted Google Glass to do I'm glad they didn't though Right, uh, and then this next post says strolling with the Geordie, real time FPV and wide angle. Uh, okay, so that's probably going to be footage of him playing because his music isn't like Max. Oh, pure data patches. Yeah, and, yeah. Pure cool. data, and it's but it doesn't sound like music. It's like weird blips and like he was. He's yeah, like a, he's a jazzer. He's got some mad chops, but like he doesn't make anything that's recognizable as like music now he just makes his moves around there's lights on him he has like cranial stimulation pads on the side of his head (laughs) so like he's got the computer stimulating his brain so he's like moving his hands and it stimulates his brain to do more weird shit (laughs) so sick yeah he seems like a full tech lord yeah yeah he's like like a sort of do you know ankle pants Yes, I know. Well, uh, I don't know him personally, but I fucking love Ankle Pants. Yeah, he was a uh, guest number two on my podcast, actually. <laughs> was he? Yeah. And, um, Ricard Farche, right? Yeah, That's... yeah, Ricard Farche. Oh, he's such a genius. Yeah. For anyone that doesn't know, check out Ankle Pants, man. Ankle Pants has like a, a penis nose prosthesis that is MIDI controlled. But this, this, is, this is like the least interesting thing about his setup, right? Like his whole setup is... <laughs> Like he has uh, accelerometers and like it's basically the same as this dude, right? It's like a whole suit that he wears <laughs> and the whole suit like controls a max patch that is doing all this insane <laughs> shit. But he he gets really oh, frustrated because like obviously it's very hard to look past the mask. So, <laughs> well, he's worried people don't take him seriously. Yeah, exactly. Like There's he, one simple thing he could do to change that if he really wanted to. Not have a robo cog nose no, I've told and this him. horrifying <laughs> mask. I think he, isn't he's like... His real bread and butter is um, like practical effects for movies, right? Yeah, he's like, a, well, he was a prosthetic <laughs> technician for a long time, which is why the mask looks so like incredibly uh, realistic. <laughs> but um, he, yeah, he, he just gets like frustrated because he's like, oh man, like I do all this like crazy technical stuff and you know, people just like come and go like, lol, a penis, like and don't appreciate any of the <laughs> stuff that I'm doing. Don't put a penis on your face. I mean, you don't want people to look at the penis and say, "Look, a penis." Just don't put a penis on your face. What the fuck? That's. I know that your man. Now, man, like you can't. Oh my god! Can't take it off now. I've, I've actually worn. I've actually worn the mask before. You have. Yeah. Maybe you are Ricard Farche. It's possible. No. I, he's too. Sm- How would you know? 
Uh, because he's really little. Like, <laughs> is he? Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah. If you see him like live or whatever, he's he's like pretty. He's a pretty small dude. Is he? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! It's so. But I, yeah, I'll put him in that same category as uh, shit wank records and, and like Onyx Ashanti. Like these are people that mm. I fucking just love. And even like Imogen Heap, even though she definitely doesn't make music that's in that category. Like her gloves project, you see that shit? Yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah, that shit's wild. Like she just who, like innovates because she did just, she make those herself? She had a team of like twenty five people or something, and um, some of those people did a little bit of work for me on some code that I needed written, and I, I sort of had some contact with some of those people. She's got yeah, brilliant, smart team of coders and Max people and stuff like that. It looks like they sell these things now. Ariana Grande uses them. Yeah. A bunch of people are using them these days. Yeah, crazy. She, she tried to do a Kickstarter, but it, it, the Kickstarter failed. But uh, I'm guessing that she's got funding yeah, from somewhere. Yeah, they figured it out because, yeah, they're selling these things now. You can order them for, oh, yeah, uh, for, for one, $1,250, for two, $2,500. And this is in Great Britain pounds. Hmm. Fucking A. I wish I had a use for it. I, there have been times when I've... I looked into gaming gloves. That's a thing. You know, have you seen um, gaming gloves? I, no. Maybe they don't even make them anymore. That was a thing for a while. Um, you press your hands together and there's like these like different pads on this glove. So like, I don't know if you can see my hand from mm -hmm. the shot yeah, I've got, yeah. but you like press your fingers on different parts of your fingers and stuff. And... Um, yeah. You've got these different controls. I was looking into that for a while. I never fucking invested. <laughs> but interesting. I mean, yeah, yeah. Dude, yeah, yeah you could probably make crazy. some serious work of these Mimu gloves. I'm a bit scared of them. It's a, I mean, that's a rabbit hole if ever I saw one. I mean, like Ariana Grande's <laughs> got like a whole whole team around her trying to make it work. I mean, that's a good point. Uh, yeah, yeah they, Have you ever used Endless? Uh, no, I, I know what it is. Yeah, I actually, you know, I have. Um, I downloaded it and I like had a quick <clears> look at it, but I, I have not um, spent a lot of time with it. I know I understand the concept. Though. It's like basically real time collaboration with people over the like, over an app, right? Yeah, and specifically music as an activity rather than work to come out with a finished product. So it's music as a game, as a like an interaction method. So if you've got a friend you want to interact with. It's like you go and play football or whatever, fucking pool, have a drink, or you can do some endless jamming, you know? Yeah, that sounds cool. I um, So you, do you have to be in the vicinity of the other person to jam with them or can you do it over, like online from a distance? You could do it from Mars. It's like it's asynchronous. So it's um, you fuck with their loops and you, you know, turn channels on and off and whatnot. And then as soon as you hit, loop it goes to them and then they get it and because it's not in real time latency is not an issue mm. so your your app is playing their app's playing and if you're on a giant jam with like 20 people on it or, or something everyone's contributing loops and so the thing is constantly evolving so it gets quite confusing but it's a mad experience to knowing that you're all collaborating on this one thing but it branches so like people will take a loop and then start fucking with it and then someone will fuck with that and someone will fuck with that. And so people end up sort of branching off of different versions of the track. I mean, I actually think that it should be structured like that where it branches off, but um, Tim's got enough on his plate. So at the moment, it's just kind of these things are in series and they're mutually exclusive. 
Yeah, but, yeah. Um, Tim Tim's yeah. always done some cool, <clears throat> interesting stuff. He's like he's he's actually been the one I think who's been ahead of the curve for a long ass time. Him and like Richard Devine, uh, people yeah. like that. I think they're they're the ones who are like truly ahead of the curve with technology. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, I feel like Richard Devine has also like started his uh, modular collection before everyone else. <laughs> so he's got this yeah. insane, <laughs> insane spaceship. He has it's amazing more, just to look at. Yeah, he has apparently like just way more modules than he has rack space. <laughs> so he just like has cupboards like full of modules, but like just only a finite <laughs> amount of rack space. I mean, every new module that comes out just most likely just gets gifted to him, right? Because if he makes one yeah, post right. on his Instagram about it, and sells like 500 copies. Yeah, for sure. God damn. Do you know what? I went to Herbie Hancock's studio like five years ago or something. And um, that was a trip. That was a trip. But, but like, um, he, he has this room full of gear. There's just like a massive garage just full of gear, full. Because everyone would, will send Herbie Hancock their shit. Yeah. And he doesn't have time to play it, ever. He just uses like a Korg, whatever it's called. Um, but he's like, yeah, I don't know what to do with this stuff. There's like thousands and thousands of pounds worth of... Yeah, it's like you can't like yeah. sell it, right? Because if you get given a thing and then you sell it, it's kind of like the ultimate dick move. <laughs> or just like sign it and like make another thousand dollars on it. How, how much would a signed keyboard by Herbie Hancock go for? Fucking thousands. You could sell that all off yeah. a charity. Yeah, you could probably make bajillions just by doing that for a yeah, charitable cause. you definitely could. That's actually... A, sign, a signed copy of my first album once sold at auction for one pound more than the retail price. <laughs> That's pretty so, next yeah. level. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny how people pay extra for a signed thing. I feel like if you give a shit about signed things after the age of like 13, <laughs> you need to reevaluate a little bit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know. I still have a copy of, you know, Ricky Gervais? Yeah. Obviously. Yeah. Well, he's, um, did you know he made this series of, I want to say children's books, but they're not really children's books. They're just really fucked up. These books called Flanimals, which are these like nonsense animals. No, have you ever I, see this? I have not. I yeah, it wasn't his most successful project, but it's my favorite thing he's ever done. It's like, it's these things he's drawn his whole life, these just stupid bullshit non-animal things that he'd like draw a shape and then color it in and give it a stupid name. And I think he was just doing this as like a pastime and he decided to compile them into a book and he released it and they're called Flanimals. And they're just the stupidest, weirdest, dumbest shit and he's given it a proper intro and he got an artist to like properly like shade them in and shit. It's so weird. <laughs> and he was And um, yeah, and it, it did quite well when it came out in England. So like he did... He did a further like three books, and it, uh, the final one ends with this giant flannel apocalypse where they all die. <laughs> and like, um, uh, yeah, but I've got a signed book of his, which I cherish because it's one of my favorite things in the world, is this fucking book. Like, I read it to my kids, and um, I shouldn't. <laughs> For they know all the names off by heart of these fucking things. <laughs> yes. I shouldn't. I don't know who let me have. Children, it's definitely a bad idea. <laughs> I'm going to warp them. That's the hardest thing to do if you've got kids is not to to leave them like really warped. Like I try and not play them passenger of shit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think depending on the passenger of shit tune, so long as it doesn't have too many questionable samples in it, it's probably fine. I haven't played them. I staple tapeworms on my penis by passenger of shit yet. 
So yeah, probably hold off on that one. <laughs> yeah, or showing them any of the album artwork. The album artwork's the real questionable <laughs> shit in that. Like you can tell he just does it himself and he's just like, ha like dicks and shit everywhere. How's that? <laughs> but I love that. I love when, you know, it's a sort of a toxic term, but outside of music because it doesn't, I don't know. It's a pretty interesting term, like, outside overall music. Just aesthetic like, that he has going on. Just people that make music because they really want to make it like they like the activity of making it like that's it's so easy to forget that that makes the best art is when it's shit that's made because the person making it fucking adores the process of making it so much that it just ends up being like a slice of dopeness when you try and contrive something to be good I mean, you, I've heard you say it a few times. It's so true. It's just you, you can smell it a mile off when something is forced out, you know? Mm, yeah, totally. Yeah, I think like with um, something like Passenger of Shit, it's like you know when you're making that stuff that it's not going to sell like <laughs> yeah. thousands of copies, right? Like <laughs> you just like know. Like it's it's not the kind of thing that like it's the kind of shit where if you like put it on, people are like turn that off. Yeah, right. <laughs> Which is like, did you ever hear the, sorry. Did you ever hear, did you ever hear the mix that uh, me and DJ Yoda did? Uh, no, I don't think so. Uh, you'd hate it. And, and that, <laughs> that's the point. We did this mix of like, we were trying to find like a way to collaborate that we were both really into. And like, we couldn't find a way to divvy up our like areas of focus and our respective talents in a way that, that would like be worthwhile. But we were still like, we were hanging out, and then we started like playing each other the 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 shit that we had kept on our our laptops. That was just we'd just both been collecting the worst music we'd ever heard, <laughs> putting them into folders. And so we ended up making this fucking mix of like this just tortuously terrible music. That's yeah, just like bad records or like just you know like novelty records by like footballers. And um, like really horrific. I think Passenger of Shit made it onto there. Just like, and we made it quite pacey, so it kind of flows. Um, <laughs> it's quite a compelling listen, but I wouldn't like put it on at a party or anything. <laughs> nice. Yeah, that challenging music. It's like it's definitely needed for the music scene at large. Like it, it's good to have people on the fringe, like doing this crazy shit to kind of like. You know, if you look at music as just like a bubble, it's like you need these people on the edge, like just stretching it <laughs> to like a bigger and bigger bubble, you know, and I think that's really cool and interesting. But yeah, I mean, I used to go out of my way to listen to Passenger of Shit, but I haven't in a while. <laughs> I actually used to love it, man. Like back in the MySpace days, that was like one of my most yeah. frequented MySpace accounts. <laughs> I can tell though, when I listen to your music, <laughs> I'm like, this cunt knows. He knows that music can be unlistenably wonderful or like delightfully unlistenable and it's like little it's like if you're using spice in cooking you don't dump the whole pot in but a little bit just fucking mm. sets it off you know what i mean like a, yeah, something exactly. a tiny bit unbearable for a second is great mm, yeah that's true <laughs> yeah i think yeah i definitely think through breakcore and like learning how to produce a little bit of breakcore for a while and also just like being pretty familiar with the aesthetic and style of it uh, has helped me a lot to to just know when to throw in those little, <laughs> those little bits of break or basically. It's funny because like uh, what Skrillex did was 
really important for music. I oh think. yeah, it like completely revived dubstep. Like dub, I think dubstep was a dying genre at the time. I, f- I felt like it was anyway. At least it wasn't in Australia. But then yeah, Skrillex came out and it's like bam, it's the it's the new thing again. Yeah, it's funny because like I heard someone the other day on some comment thread was like um, Skrillex invented dubstep and I'm like mm, I think I actually like replied to it being like no he ended it <laughs> he's like for me he's like the coder at the end of at the end of dubstep where he's like okay well you've kicked wub wubs to death and you've given your yois a chance and um yeah and you, you've you've used massive okay so now what <laughs> and then um Skrillex comes along and he's like well there's all these other genres so I'm going to change genre every like half bar or whatever and you're just going to deal with it and and it's that was so that's common now to hear that level of switch up there's people doing mm. like Igloo Ghost is madness oh, you dude, know? Igloo like, Ghost is so sick like you can incredible you can tell that guy's like listen to breakcore as well for sure yeah <laughs> I and mean, it's a his music is essentially breakcore you reckon I think the, the, a lot of it, yeah. Like the defining thing for breakcore for me is when, like, like the Venetian snaresness of it, where you really can't dance to it because it's it's not to dance to. It's, it's just to, like you can get your head kicked into. You know? Amen. <laughs> yeah, it's like the Amen break snare, just like played up and down. The, it's like someone's running their hand along the keyboard, yeah. like sampling the Amen break snare. <laughs> like I saw Tim Exile play in like 2005 or something in. Um, in this breakcore festival when breakcore festivals were a thing. Um, and he just had his like laptop with keys missing and these weird like drawers that pulled out of this strange contraption he built. And it was in this cave in somewhere in Austria. And um, there was like water dripping from the ceiling and shit and like, like drunk girls like throwing pints over his laptop and stuff. And I'm like trying to protect his laptop being like, fucking <laughs> stand back. This is important. What's going on here? And he was like, it was formless and fucking freeform and um, so creative and just like recursive the way he'd, be, he'd take a piece of audio and then do something to it and then do something to that, like constantly resampling <clears throat> mm. and, and mulching and distorting and recontextualizing and with no regard for you know the structure of the thing being in multiples of four no regard for there needing to be things like tension and release or builds and drops and you'd think that that would be you know okay fine so it's kind of museum step or something it's like art core <laughs> no 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 it was a fucking experience like being hammered in the face with music itself uh, and people were kind of dancing at it or despite it rather than with it and like, and like I mean everyone was on a lot of cat I think but like people were kind of it was like the way people were dancing it was like it was an earthquake they were just kind of they couldn't quite again probably the cat but like <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> yeah but it was I mean that is one of the defining moments of my life I think seeing that and being a part of that fucking crazy sweaty little cave rave and yeah, it's knowing cool that, that that's these... possible it's cool that these like moments um, can like really affect your musical career. Hey, like I've had a few of those moments too during my career. And it's like when I make music, it's not like I'm trying to recreate what was playing at that time, but it, I'm trying to recreate something that made me feel like I felt when I was listening to that at that time. Oh, damn. What are those little flashbulb moments for you? 
I mean, quite. A, it's always happened basically when I've been on on acid or something like that, <laughs> and or mushrooms or just like some psychedelic drug where where I'm just like in some other worldly state, and then uh, it's usually uh, to some something more psychedelic like psytrance or something like that. Mm. Um, and I don't know. There'll just be these periods of like an hour where I'm just like uh, really high. And the music <laughs> is just like perfect for that time. Right. And it's just like, you know, have, I've had like some pretty crazy experiences with listening to Psytrance on acid before, just like sitting in, in front of these giant sound systems, just like losing my mind, just being like, what the fuck is going on? Everything is like so clean and so well edited and like everything is perfect. And, um, and it's just like, yeah, a lot of those moments. And then I guess like I've had some pretty cool, like completely sober moments at Tipper sets actually where, um, you know, his stuff is just so crazy anyway. <laughs> uh, it's just really nice to listen to regardless, but yeah, there's just like some perfect moments in his sets sometimes that, that are really inspirational. Sick, man. I've actually never done a proper hardcore actual psychedelic because I am <clears throat> the kind of person who is almost guaranteed a bad trip and mm. like even maybe just the th just thinking that that's the case could induce a bad trip if i'm like going into it being like i bet i'm gonna have a fucking bad trip like mm. because yeah i, I don't, don't know. i don't think people like there's some people who take psychedelics who are like these sh these should be mandatory like everyone should take these and it's like <laughs> no, everyone's brain is different you know like yeah not everyone should take psychedelics I mean, like, I've had bad trips off fucking weed. <laughs> like, oh, dude, no, weed you know, is the one that gives me, like, the worst bad trips. Like, I, right. weed, I cannot smoke weed at all. It, like, gives me crazy anxiety. Yeah, man. I mean, I can't smoke that shit anymore. Jesus Christ. I mean, yeah, not a chance. Not a chance. I mean, like, yeah, looking after children, especially not. But, like... Weed gives know, you like of... the, the crazy paranoia though. It's like the one weed yeah. gives, gives you like that physical anxiety where you're like, I'm definitely dying. Like I definitely need Yeah. <laughs> you're no, like, I, I, I wasn't, you know, I felt completely fine before the weed, but then I smoked the weed and something <laughs> has happened between then and now. I'm definitely dying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's not a good vibe, is it? And you like so... convince yourself of it. You're like, even you know logically like no i just smoked weed and i know for sure that the weed is just giving me this like weird physical anxiety or whatever but then you're like but, but what if what if this time it's the actual death <laughs> oh my god yeah, you somehow this is, oh, every shit. time convince yourself that it's for sure happening this time man at this bush stuff that i was at when i was last in australia we like finished the set and everything and then we're all chilling back stage in the tent and uh the organizer of the festival like uh reaches over and turns the music up on the little stereo to mask the sound of screaming that's coming from the other tent and i'm like what is that she's like ah, it's, it's 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 the medical tent it's fine and i'm like <laughs> i'm like what what do you mean like so someone's in in fucking agony she's like no 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 he's just getting the horrors he'll be all right tomorrow morning <laughs> and i'm like Wait, what? Like, yeah, it ha happens a lot here. And I'm like, wait, are you serious? Like, he's like, yeah, you know, it's, um, I was like, how many of these do you have any night? How many of these do you have, do you have in the festival? She's like, well, you know, every night there's a couple. So like, there's a couple, but this guy sounded like, like his eyes were being 
clawed out from the inside by demons. Oh. Like, it was fucking horrifying to hear. And it was just that, that's why I've never done acid, man. Because I just. Because of that, that guy. Because of dudes like that, where mm. I would be that dude. I just fucking know it. And I'm afraid of like a 12 hour trip that I can't get out of. And I'd never be the fucking same. I know I'd never be the fucking same. Yeah, <laughs> there is a bit of that for sure. Like definitely um, the 12 hour thing is uh, <laughs> something I'm not a huge fan of. But I actually found a way around that. Uh, oh, yeah. Would you like to know? Sure. You snort the liquid acid. <laughs> I know it sounds like super fucked up and like <laughs> crazy and, and weird, but it only lasts like six hours if you do that. That's my, oh, really? my pro oh tip my God. to anyone out there who's trying to fix that problem. <laughs> <laughs> this shit's going to be edited out so hard. There was, <laughs> there, was, <laughs> there, was um, uh, there was a time I did some salvia, which gives <clears> you a very, very, very brief trip to a perfectly geometrical alternate universe and it was really weird and it was like yeah like I had a bit and I was like that was cool and then I'll do a bigger hit and I was transported to this it was like a sort of everything became a sort of completely two-dimensional paisley pattern and and didn't matter where I looked it was this sort of two-dimensional kind of you know mosaic kind of thing uh, but then something really bad started to happen because I sort of noticed that the sort of right bottom sort of bottom right hand corner of existence as i perceived it was a void and i'd never experienced a void before as in like utter nothingness as in the lack of anything as in the same kind of experience that if you like look at your hand you slowly move your hand outside your like area of vision so you can't see it anymore it was that mm -hmm. like there isn't anything there but it wasn't but i like normally you'd have an awareness that okay well i've got my hand kind of disappearing outside of my vision but but i know it's there with this it was there was literally nothing it's really hard to describe coming back from a trip and trying to explain what you fucking <laughs> like experienced it like, always yeah it always cheap it was terrifying like whatever you experience um the person i've heard do the best job of this is actually sam harris he has a oh, right yeah yeah podcast or uh, i guess it's like just uh, him talking to himself, I guess a monologue on his YouTube channel of him uh, on a mushroom trip, uh, which was a five gram mushroom trip. So the heroic dose, as Terence McKenna calls it, <laughs> and he explains the experience, and um, he does a really good job, I think, of explaining the experience. Is he is is he doing the same thing that your music does then, explaining the experience, it's describing is is your is your music a poetic <laughs> version of Sam Harris? Would you, get, would, you, would you want to get him on a track? <laughs> Just like Sam Harris doing monologues over a track. Yeah, over a side trance tune. <laughs> yeah, I think that, that if that doesn't already exist, it's definitely going to exist soon. <laughs> someone's blatantly fucking done that, man. If you, can, if you can describe something, it's out there on the internet and someone's made porn of it as well. Yeah, that's that like rule 34. Rule, rule 34. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. I think there's a website that's just called Rule 34 <laughs> that's just this kind of shit. It's like the most obscure crap. My hey, man. God. It was awesome to have you on, but I think I'm going to have to stop here because I need to go and do some stuff. 
I'm sure you do. What time is it even? Yeah. It's three, it's only 3.20 p.m., but yeah, I just got a few things to do this afternoon and then I have a chess tournament tonight, so I have to prepare for that. Fair enough, man. Well, I've got some some sleeping to do because it's nearly midnight here. But hey, man, it's been really good to chat and fucking great to link up. And I'll send you some stuff and it won't be too amorphous and noisy. Nice. Yeah, man, it was, yeah. It was good to finally uh, organize this and get you on. And yeah, really cool to like e-meet you. And hopefully after all this shit is done, I'll come over to London and uh, hang out. Um, my buddy Funny, who does all my artwork, like all of those weird little blobby characters uh, and stuff. Wicked. Yeah, yeah. He, he lives in London. So I go over and visit. I've, I, well, I've been over and stayed with him once for like a couple of weeks. And yeah, I really enjoy it over there. It's awesome. Wicked, man. Well, yeah, when the apocalypse has run its course, let's fucking link up and take some salvia. <laughs> okay, man. All right. <laughs> cheers, cheers, man. Wicked, dude. Take care, man. Bye. Hey, thanks for listening to the Mr. Bill podcast. These episodes are edited and uploaded by Robert Fumo. You can also support the show, get early access to episodes and hear bonus content by going to patreon.com forward slash Mr. Bill's tunes and becoming a patron. Uh, Please rate and review on iTunes unless you're going to be a little shit about it. And all the links to my various platforms are at mrbillstunes.com. Thank you.